we are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Sock Talk Radio, the world for people who think. You're listening to Sock Talk Radio, the world for people who think. And there's an awful lot of thinking needed these days. A whole lot of thinking going on? There should be a whole lot of thinking going on. Our show this week is about um, a very current event, uh, although we will be going into other, other details or other aspects of it. It's obviously the war or the potential war. I mean, they keep using this term war. It's an attack, an invasion. Let's not use the word war because it's basically a turkey shoot. The turkey shoot against Syria. Uh, anyway, I'm Joe Quinn. With me uh, today, as most other days, are Jason Martin. Hey, everybody. Neil Bradley. Hello. And Pierre Lescudron. Hello, everybody. That is our panel for this evening's discussion <laughs> on the rabble-rousing the flashbacks that everybody's been having to... What year is this? 2003? Yeah. March? 1911? Yeah. When when and where are we living? Um, You know, it's just crazy. Anyway. It's pretty disorienting. I mean, uh, it's it's almost verbatim, a rerun of WMD, Iraq, weapons of mass destruction. We've all heard it. They're practically using the same press releases. Yeah. History is repeating itself in shorter and shorter cycles. Yeah. yeah. And you know what happens to people who don't learn from history? Yeah, that's interesting. Though. History seems to be repeating itself in shorter and shorter cycles. That, yeah. that, that can't be a good thing. No, I don't think so. As when it's a longer cycle, that you may have some time, but shorter and shorter, seems to be spiraling down to a yeah. and kaboom splat. There's a frustrating factor as well. Because uh, when you look into this uh, Syria affair, it's so similar to previous uh, fake wars. They're with the same lie, the same manipulation, the same twist of reality. But you think at this point, we should have realized because the previous examples have been so documented. Now, it's so clear that, there, for example, there was no weapon of mass destruction in Iraq. The invasion was not justified. And again and again and again, it's pretty clear for most people. And though, for some reason, apparently we don't manage to make the, the connection and see it's the same lie, the same deception that is going on in Syria. Well, to be honest, a lot of people are yeah, saying that, do. you know. <clears throat> it's even, not, P- even Putin said in his speech, you were wrong last time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really, it's a bit of a stretch for them this time to try this on again, but that apparently isn't stopping them, you know. Apparently what they seem to be doing specifically in the form of, uh, <clears throat> or through the, the dribbling maw of uh, Secretary of State John Kerry uh, is to ramp up... What the, a hypocrite. ...ramp up the, the emotional, you know, rhetoric and the, the appealing to, you know, our own, our shared humanity and we must do something for the love of God. We must do something for these babies. That's the kind of stuff he's coming out with, more or less. That's where it's kind of hitting people, you know. And actually I have... Um, his speech, or a good portion of a speech that he gave, I think today, 
Uh, it was based on, he's given several over the past week or so, but he gave another one today. Um, and it was the evidence speech, you know, but this is the evidence that we have. So it's now, you know, it's it's it's, it's obviously building up to them going ahead and doing it, despite the fact that the Brits have backed out. Um, and the Brits backing out was a bit of a shock to most people because no one loves a good war or a good turkey shoot as much as the Brits, you know. Uh, they're, they're very, yeah, they're very sporting in that way. They like to they like to beat up on uh, on countries that have a much inferior military than they do. Uh, ideally, when they only have spears and bows and arrows, um, it was a close call. Thirteen votes. Yeah, I have a question about that. Is this vote by the British Parliament against the vision of Syria? a definite democratic decision, yeah. or is it just uh, a way to the veneer of uh, democratic legitimacy to appease the masses, and later on there will be another bogus, bogus terrorist attack or chemical yeah. weapon attack, and then there will be a switch? Well, that's always possible. Part of the benefit, if you want to call it that, of these psychopaths not having any originality whatsoever is that they went within Britain, they went down the same route they did in 2003, where they put a vote to the House of Commons. It's just that in this case, the votes went the other way. So they did it out of convention. We did it before, we'll do it now, it'll just be, you know, uh, it'll be a routine affair, and then we'll move on to the next, the next phase. But then I think that came out of, that was a surprise, at least to most people. It was unexpected. And do you think the Brits or British leaders, British army, can still intervene in Syria despite this negative vote from the um, no. parliament? No, absolutely not, no. They would lose all credibility. I mean, it's, it would be uh, the sham that is democracy in the UK would, would be fully clear to everybody if they did that. I mean, this is... Basically, this is, you're saying they absolutely <coughs> will do it. <laughs> well, no, well, I mean, the thing about it is they, they have never done this before. I mean, they've never... Um, gone against it, but they've gone to a vote in, in, in the House of Parliament and had a uh, no vote and then gone ahead and done it anyway. I mean, that's effectively, that's that's, that's where the rubber hits the road in, in supposed democracy. I mean, this, these are the representatives of the people in the House of Parliament. They have all spoken to the people and a majority of them have said no. Now, there's no direct threat to the UK. There's no scope for, you know, any kind of executive branch of the British government or anything taking a an executive decision and going above and beyond uh, the will of the people or the will of, of, of the, the vote in Parliament. So, I mean, I can't see any way how it would justify it, save some kind of renewed evidence or, you know, that could include some kind of attack on the UK and stuff or whatever. But, you know, what I find suspicious is the way the Israeli leaders were describing the current situation. First, they were repeating a bit too much, and I found that suspicious. They were repeating that uh, we're not helping the rebels in Syria, which sounded to me, okay, we are helping them. I might be just paranoid. And the other thing, the following sentence was, but if they attack, they commit attacks on our territory, we will retaliate. And uh, in a Shimon Peres declaration statement, I read that in a... From another Israeli offic- official, uh, I don't remember his name right now, and I was thinking, 
What does he mean? Does he mean that they're already planning a false flag operation on the Israeli ground or, or threatening Israeli assets in order to legitimize their intervention in the Syria, Syria conflict? They're itching to have some justification to attack again uh, any Arab country around them, right? Uh, the Israelis are. And they want uh, the U.S. to attack Syria because, much like the this alleged chemical weapons attack, which was very likely some kind of a, a setup, some kind of a false flag, it actually happened, but it wasn't uh, the Syrian government. The Israelis, after the U.S. attacks with Tomahawk, missiles, whatever, <coughs> Syria, the Israelis have just carte blanche to... To do whatever they want, you know. To to I mean, who who knows? Who, who says they don't have something set up, some dirty bomb somewhere in yeah, in, well, in the middle of Israel? Know. Exactly, you know, a bomb explodes in in, in yeah. Tel Aviv right after a few days after the the, the Americans attack Syria. Boom! The Israelis are involved, you know, <coughs> in Lebanon, Syria. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have already helped on at least two occasions. The Israelis have bombed with military jets. Uh, Syrian military installations, so they have already done so. You know, this use of chemical weapons is all the more unconvincing that A, it didn't happen, or if it happened, but it was conducted by rebel forces backed by Western powers. But even if Bashar al-Assad would have committed this foolish move, which would not serve his interest at all, how can the US or the Israeli condemn such a move since in 2009 during Operation Kasled, the Israelis used such weapons, phosphorus, which is banned by the Geneva Convention against Palestinian uh, uh, population. And in 2004, the US used the same weapon, phosphorus bombs, against Iraq, Iraqi population. So they used those banned weapons, but at the same time they point the finger Syria for using weapons that they didn't even use. So it's uh, so asymmetric. Well, here we get to the the, the issue. So they they framed this justification for war, this casus belli, around the fact that X, in this case Syria, has weapons of mass destruction, chemical weapons. And it's convenient. Have they used them or have they not? But the issue, first and foremost, is framed as do they have them? Right. And it's framed by the very countries that not only have a lot of them, not only sold them to all of these Arab countries, they've used them recently. But you see, the Israelis did that in 2009, and that's already ancient history. You just won't see it brought up. And the procedure is iffy as well, because you see those Western leaders condemning Syria, and after, they're asking for an inquiry. Usually, you conduct an inquiry, you get the results, and then, possibly or not, you condemn. But it's as if Syria is guilty before the evidence has been provided. Of course, that's but, what they always do. And that's like the most grotesquely inappropriate thing. I mean, like, because you have to remember the executive branch is not the judicial branch. It has no legal qualification whatsoever to say anyone's innocent or guilty for anything. And that's the way at least the American government has been structured. So unless a, ju a competent judicial authority pronounces Syria or Bashar al-Assad guilty after a court, whatever that organized court may be, only then can you say that they're guilty or not, because people are innocent until proven guilty. The fact that there's an accusation against them is fine. Cool, mm -hmm. okay, investigate it, have a court 
settle it by jury or judge or however you want to do it, but at least has to be a competent judicial authority. And the idea that anyone would accept the president of the United States pronouncing guilt on anyone, it doesn't matter if he, he was a witness to the crime. In America, jurisprudence, it doesn't matter if you witness the crime. You are not a competent judge. You cannot say that a person is guilty. You can say, I saw him do it. They said, okay, bring your evidence to a judge, and the judge will decide. And there's a precedent, actually, because the Iranian case a few years ago was quite similar. You had the Western powers condemning Iran, pointing the figure at Iran because they were allegedly developing nuclear bombs. And then after the condemnation, they delegated a uh, UN commission led by uh, Mohamed El-Baradai from AIEA to investigate the presence of nuclear facilities. And Mohamed El-Baradai in his official report stated that there was no facilities developing nuclear weapons, civil nuclear power, yes, for electricity, but not nuclear uh, weapons. And despite the official report, the Western powers went on, and, uh, and they uh, they even established a, an embargo against Iran. Yeah, well, I think we should actually just listen to the kind of things that uh, John Kerry, the U.S. Secretary of State, has said here, because this is it in total uh, as far as the argument for you know firing Tomahawk cruise missiles, etc. At uh, well. They've claimed it's at the Syrian people, but it, or at the Syrian uh, infrastructure, the government infrastructure, the military infrastructure, but it'll be at the Syrian people like it always. So let's just go ahead and listen to some. I think I'm going to try, just bear with me here, because I'm not sure if I can stop this and pause and comment and then continue on from where I started or where I stopped. And so I'm going to have to experiment a bit here. That's why this morning's release of our government's unclassified estimate of what took place in Syria is so important. Its findings are as clear as they are compelling. I'm not asking you to take my word for it. Read for yourself, everyone, those listening, all of you, read for yourselves the evidence from thousands of sources, evidence that is already publicly available. And read for yourselves the verdict reached by our intelligence community about the chemical weapons attack the Assad regime inflicted on the opposition and on opposition-controlled or contested neighborhoods in the Damascus suburbs on the early morning of August 21st. Our intelligence community has carefully reviewed and re-reviewed information regarding this attack. And I will tell you, it has done so more than mindful of the Iraq experience. We will not repeat that moment. Accordingly, we have taken unprecedented steps to declassify and make facts available to people who can judge for themselves. But still, in order to protect sources and methods, some of what we know will only be released to members of Congress the representatives of the American people. That means that some things we do know, we can't talk about publicly. So what do we really know that we can talk about? Well, we know that the Assad regime has the largest chemical weapon, weapons program in the entire Middle East. We know that the regime has used those weapons 
multiple times this year and has used them on a smaller scale, but still it has used them against its own people, including not very far from where last Wednesday's attack happened. We know that the regime was specifically determined to rid the Damascus suburbs of the opposition, and it was frustrated that it hadn't succeeded in doing so. We know that for three days before the attack, the Syrian regime's chemical weapons personnel were on the ground, in the area, making preparations. And we know that the Syrian regime elements were told to prepare for the attack by putting on gas masks and taking precautions associated with chemical weapons. We know that these were specific instructions. We know where the rockets were launched from and at what time. We know where they landed and when. We know rockets came only from regime-controlled areas and went only to opposition-controlled or contested neighborhoods. And we know, as does the world, that just 90 minutes later, all hell broke loose in the social media. With our own eyes, we have seen the thousands of reports from 11 separate sites in the Damascus suburbs, all of them show and report victims with breathing difficulties, people twitching with spasms, coughing, rapid heartbeats, foaming at the mouth, unconsciousness, and death. And we know it was ordinary Syrian citizens who reported all of these horrors. And just as important, we know what the doctors and the nurses who treated them didn't report. Not a scratch, not a shrapnel wound, not a cut, not a gunshot wound. We saw, saw rows of dead lined up in burial shrouds, the white linen unstained by a single drop of blood. Instead of uh, being tucked safely in their beds at home, we saw rows of children lying side by side, sprawled on a hospital floor, all of them dead from Assad's gas and surrounded by parents and grandparents who had suffered the same fate. The United States government now knows that at least 1,429 Syrians were killed in this attack, including at least 426 children. Even the first responders, the doctors, nurses, and medics who tried to save them, they became victims themselves. We saw them gasping for air, terrified that their own lives were in danger. Because no, okay, I've had enough. Uh, I would have liked lies, to. Lies, lies. I would have liked to have uh, played played the rest of it. But I have the transcript anyway, so um, but I can't stop and start, um, unfortunately. But anyway, that's the kind of tenor of, of of where he's going with the whole thing. And by the way, he continues on for another twelve minutes or something, and he. He lays out this this evidence that we know we know we know this we know that we know the other. And that's not evidence. No, exactly. But the thing about it is, he's saying that this is a, a report that he this is what we know. He's citing a report, right? But the, I've looked at the report, and the report is pretty much verbatim what he's saying there. So he's basically saying we know 
and that is the evidence. People, he, he's referring to a report as if the report has more substantial actual evidence for what right. he's claiming. All he's doing is making claims. Yeah, he's making but he's saying we know. Yeah. And then you look at the, the actual document that it's the evidence for his claims, and it's his claims. Right. Yeah. So there is no evidence. Hang on, we have a call here, so we're just going to break right. that first. Hi, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hello? Caller? You're on the air. Am, are you talking Mark? to me? I certainly am. The only person who would be on the air would be you. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi, my, name, on, my name's Bill. Um, I guess two things real quick then. One is technical. I'm can't, apparently, this is the, it said the only way to listen uh, from my Android phone, the website doesn't work, is to call this number. And if you want to talk to the speaker, press 1. So I didn't. So I'm not quite sure. Um, okay. So you didn't want to talk to us on. at all, actually? I, I hadn't planned to, but what I'll say two things again real quick is that I, as usual, absolutely agree with everything you're saying. It's outrageous. Um, it's like the warmonger, you know, crap is kind of on full display for anyone who wants to see it. It's, it's almost like <laughs> in a perverted way, this is such a good thing. You know, you can just yeah. no ducking, dodging, and weaving if in conversation with anyone, there's just it's just so everything he's saying is so fallacious and beyond the pale that um to me it's it's surprising that there are still twenty percent of the people polled in this country think we should and they just must say yes to everything, you know. Yeah, that there always will be. That's a good point. We can try to make hay, you know, wherever it's available and, and as you say, the real the blatant kind of psychopathy and lies are on display here full it's a full frontal display of uh, of a kind of warmongering and and disinformation and lies that they've engaged in repeatedly in the past. And I suppose they're testing the people, you know, to see if they can get away with it again. And the question is, will they? Yes. Well, thank you. you. So, so does that mean I can't listen? Or um... <laughs> I I have no I have no idea because I've never tried to log into the show with an Android phone before or any other phone. I don't know. Maybe if you just like, you know, maybe if you just hang up, it'll. No, I maybe he has to stay on the line, and then we just mute him and keep. Yeah, going. well, we can do that if yeah, you I want to. Mute, I'll mute myself and keep listening. And uh, okay. They said. All right. They thanks for your call. One, so. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks. All right, thanks, thanks Bill. Bye. Okay, we have another call here. Oh, okay. Let's just go back to back. Hi, caller. Our second caller here. What's your name and where you come from? How you doing? <laughs> Hi. Hey. What's your oh, name? Okay. You can hear where, where you come from? Um, yeah. My name's Noah, calling from Webster, Massachusetts. Okay. Hey, Welcome. Hi. Well, Joe, I've, I've listened to you guys for years. Um, two things I just want to get out. Um, first one, you guys have all the power. You guys have a ton of listeners. Um, someone needs to make a, a statement saying that we're going to shut down the bank. Pick a bank. Bank of America, have everybody simultaneously on the 11th stop their account. If they're a patriot, do it. Well, it's been uh, it's been tried in Europe. Yeah. yeah. A few years ago, the leader, one of the leaders of this movement was Eric Cantona, a famous uh, soccer player from Manchester United. Um, the king, they called him. It didn't really come to fruition. 
uh, one of the reasons why is that if you remove your assets, your money from a bank or close your account... Well, transfer them. I wasn't saying... I mean, not just cancel. I, I actually don't like that bank in particular, but they, to, to be able to do something where in one instant, stock, everything, you know, they can see it, you know, real time that we are united. You know, there needs but to be something you... that's not violent, that's, that's, that's just... And, and it's just going to take somebody who's got enough listeners actually make that, you know, make it a Facebook thing, make it this, make, you know, spread it and see what happens. You know? But I mean, just to, to be able to state something like that, it's just to, you know, people do care. It, you know, we're not all just mindless zombies here. Uh -huh. You would transfer from a, a bank account to, to where? A credit, a, 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 you know, a private credit union. I mean, it, it is a pain in the butt. It does take people's time, but as far as it goes, there's really nothing really you can do, you know, as far as not, you, you can't just stand still, but there has to be something that's at least organized. So well, I mean, just to say something yeah. on this topic real quick, if I could, I mean, it's a nice idea, but the minute you put publish that on, uh, on like in, in any kind of serious way, and a lot of people say, oh, yeah, let's go do it. And, you know, after about like the first 100 to 150 accounts, they're going to say, oh, people are really doing this, and, and they'll stop you from doing it. They, they yeah, okay. say, no, you can't right now. Well, no, that's there, the answer a that I need. Mean. That's the answer. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, that's what they would do. It's a good that's idea. What they've done in the past. Yeah. They, do, they stop. If it, when people just yeah. start going en masse to take their money out, they, they literally just, like, lock the door and say, oh, we're closed today. Yeah. That's what, that, you know, that's what happened in, uh, it, it happened in, in Cyprus. Cyprus. In Cyprus recently yeah. as well. They, they limited the amount you could withdraw every day or every week. Yeah. You know, no, it's a good idea. In essence, what you're saying, uh, the idea of masses of people all at once taking some kind of affirmative action mm. to show that they don't agree with government and to, you know, civil disobedience or whatever. Right. But the problem is that that hasn't happened in a long time. Certainly hasn't happened in the U.S. ever. Um, and I don't know well, what... Well, in the, reality, we're, we're, when we when you guys talk now, I mean, it's kind of taken a... From, from years ago when you guys had your site, even when you guys changed all of your names for all of the separate sections you had for whatever purpose, the softer side yeah. kind of came out. I hope they didn't get to you in particular, but as far as it goes, you know, um, I can just for say yeah. right now that this war will happen and, and we will just be sitting by talking about it and saying, isn't that a shame? Um, you know, we're, unfortunately, we're, we can all agree be, on that because really, we're, yeah, I, you know, you don't foresee anything. We're going to be saying a lot worse than it's a shame. Uh <laughs> And we're going to be doing a rest continually to kind of put the evidence out there that it's not just a shame, it's a travesty, it's 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 an obscenity, and that everybody in this planet is going to pay a price if they allow this kind of thing. We already have. We already are. I the know. water's polluted. The, 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 yeah. the, with everything that's going on, it, it is a sad time we live in. I would have picked the yeah, generation absolutely. of the 40s to the 50s and lived in some bliss, some ignorant bliss, but I mean... You know, you just can't hide the fact that it's so blatant nowadays that, you know, there's a lot of people who are all scared, you know, and I mean, fear is really yeah. what they have over us, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I think yeah. uh, your idea, the principle of your idea is a good principle, reaching a level of culinarity, of awareness among the old population where we start to act against the oppressing elite and to act in an efficient way and where we actually want non-violent way. Well, I'm not sure the transferring money from one account to another bank account is the best solution, but 
we have to to act together and for us to be able to act together we have to start by seeing the world as it is to yeah. see the world in the same way because yeah. the, the well with psychopaths there's just no way that they can it's not in their it's not their, in their well, capability no, not, not psychopaths but not psychopaths but ordinary people, people. Yeah, the, ma- the major problem I think I don't think any plans for everybody should definitely take this action or that action right. uh, is a good idea because we're not even there yet <clears throat> where we need to be at first is where people understand and see the situation for what it really is, see yes. the fact that they're go- ruled by liars and psychopaths who basically ultimately hate them or have no value, you know, whole, uh, see no value in, in ordinary human life except as you know, a bunch of worker slaves, essentially. And um, if everybody understood that on us at the same time, then I think some action would... Uh, developed out of that, yeah. yes, which yeah. suggests that something would happen organically as a result. Mm. So that is why we focus our energies on, on, on informing people, you know, trying to break down those barriers and fighting that war for people's minds, because that is where the war begins. If they win the war for your mind, if they dumb you down and keep you ignorant, ignorant yeah. and, and, and right. unaware... Then, so, then you're screwed. They don't have to take any any action against you, really. You know, we're just talking kind of here about like an awareness or consciousness twelve step program. The first step is admitting you have a problem, That's and it. until we get more people to admit that there's a problem going on, yeah. talking about you know step number twelve, you know, of actually like taking some sort of action about it, it is just it's it's kind of going to be a little bit foolish as well. It's like, is that actually going to get you? Uh, realistically, how how would they how would the elites block you in that attempt? And the particular attempt that you say, taking your money out of account, we've seen them block things like that before very easily. So you would be blocked, and then you would be like, "Well, what are we going to do?" I tried, but I tried. Yeah, no, I follow. I follow. And well, can I just say one more thing? You know, the people who are here in this country right now, they either are completely ignorant and blissful in the fact that they go to Walmart and they do what they do and buy what they buy and hang out with their friends and go on vacation. But the people who honestly are aware of what's going on, I guess the real choice is to have a mass, well, or or just leave the country. I mean, get your passport. Mm -hmm. And and I was going to ask you guys, where would you go? I mean, I mean, as far as it goes, you really can't avoid this whole global thing that's going on. So, I mean, unless you go find an, an island in the middle of the Pacific, some atoll, and eat coconuts yeah. well, your life, no, well, you're basically going to be forced to, into whatever system is, is going to be, mm-hmm. you know, there's put upon. There's an old saying, the, the Lilium interspenis, and it's just like, you know, sometimes it's actually safer to be in, in, in the middle of things than it is to try to run and hide in some, you know, backwater somewhere. Um, well, that's so true too. But I'm running away. New Zealand and I, every other country that they say you know has you know the best you know lifestyle as far as you know they either have you know not so much poverty, None but they all. don't have so much that's oppression. But I mean, you look at every country yeah. that's in uh-huh. riot and a rebellion right now, and it's just it, it it's phenomenal. I mean, I never thought in a, in, you know, and you never fathom this in your deepest imagination that this would no. be so much turmoil going on, and you're looking at it going, what do you do? You know, we, what do you what do you really do? Well, like like you said, there's nowhere there's nowhere safe on this planet really in in that sense where anybody could go and not be under this kind of control system, uh, you know, not be not be within the reach of, of, of any kind of police force, you know, overt or covert or paramilitary force, whatever. I mean there's no point in going anywhere really uh, to save your bonds in that in that sense. I think uh, it's, it's back to what we just said, which is that the real battle here is 
is for people's minds and do not uh, underestimate um, the, the potential or the effect that even one mind that is to some extent liberated and can see what's going on uh, don't, don't underestimate the effect that that can have, you know, or the, the importance of that, you know. So what I'm saying to you, Noah, is that, you know, don't get too depressed about it, about the fact that all these people around you are just going to Walmart and, you know, eating McDonald's and, you know, they don't care. <laughs> I mean, kind of keep the faith yourself and have a little bit of faith and trust in the fact that uh, your ability to continue to uh, see the truth of what's going on around you in the world has value. And that goes well, for... Well, I've realized every, that every, recently, too, that it's no matter what your faith is, this is a very good time to, you know, put some faith in whatever deity you believe in in, in Christ. Well, yeah. I'm talking Christ about faith, just in, in faith in the truth, in a sense, you know, in the faith in your own ability to see the truth and the fact that that ability has some value. Because in a well, sea of lies... You, you had said on a show not too long ago that, you know, this society, it was never meant to be an ideal, perfect world. I mean, we've seen for thousands of years that I guess this may just be a test of our own will and in, in being here. So, you know, really. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, uh, and that that I relate to, and I mean that. You know, I'm sure most of your listeners can understand that as well. Yeah. You know? No, there's maybe something else that there is this old saying that says, "Doesn't matter where you are, what matters is who you are." Uh, this and being, what you see, and, and what you see, and how objectively you see the world and what's going on around you. This being said. If you are prepared, if you are ready, if you have a reliable network, uh, all those elements, uh, like Noah, the historic Noah, uh, he was prepared, he had what was required to face the, his uh, existing uh, context, help him to go through uh, challenges. So, yeah, I would uh, I would go on uh, learning like you do, trying to, to evaluate the world objectively, develop a reliable network and uh, be ready and be prepared and yeah. uh, who knows what's going to happen. Are you are you do you have a um are you a member of our forum, Noah? No, actually see I, in 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 reality, yeah, it was pretty gutsy of me to even call you guys. You know, but um the way that I felt about it is, is that, you know, it's a paranoia type of thing where really everything nowadays now is out in the open. It's like you know, do you want to just be made known for something that, you know, you, you may have a belief or this or that, but nowadays it just shows from all the examples of all the people who speak out that you, you're better off just, you know, being quiet. You guys have a lot of courage for having your show, and, you know, that that's one of the things where, you know, people like me, I'm sure there's other people like me who, you know, we're, we're observers. You know, I, I, I just see and pay attention and listen to, you know, you really know well, what's you know, going on, but it's never, it's never, you know, there are, you have your personal family and friends that you can have your own, you know, uh, celebrations. My, my, um, my brother just recently got married, a wonderful time, and I mean, he's living his life, but I wouldn't even discuss any of these things with him because his blissful state is one that shouldn't be intruded upon, and that's my personal belief. Absolutely. You know, if he wants Absolutely. to see the truth, he can, you know? Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good approach to take. Uh, but what I'm saying is, for you personally, if you want to talk to other people about this, you know, you you can get on our forum, and there are people on there who will talk about this and all sorts of other topics that might, uh, you know, pique your interest. And, you know, that that's something that's better than just feel like you're alone and have no one to talk to about it. And I wouldn't be too worried about, you know, who's watching you, you know? I have a, oh, no, 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 true, true. Um, I have a kind of one more thing, kind of I, I don't want to, you know? this isn't the same subject, but I just want to say, 
with this incoming ISIM, you know, I mean, with the timing of all the, the turmoil here, I mean, do you, I know that um, Laura, uh, she's written, you know, I haven't read the book of Moses and Thomas and Thomas of Moses, I'm sorry, but um, I, do you think there's some real legitimacy about, you know, what's what will happen? And I mean, this would be an opportune time for, you know, all heck, all heck to break loose, let's put it that way. Absolutely, you know, you know with, with We've theorized uh, a little bit that this attack, potential attack on Syria might be a protracted kind of engagement where it kicks off something in the Middle East and it gets everybody worried and keeps everybody distracted going into a time when uh, there might be something to do with comets or, I mean, look at it this way. There's been fireballs flashing through our skies and not one oh, Russia I, 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 I know. It's and ridiculous. So, it's, I've never seen anything. Like There's obviously something going on there, and I mean, our, our Earth is opening up in a very literal way. You know, there's sinkholes all over the place. Just last week in Rome, near the Rome airport, there was like basically uh, just on the flat ground, a little mini volcano opened up, you know, and started spewing kind of hot, boiling gas. And, and, you know, I mean, there's little bits of evidence like that to suggest that there's something very strange going on. Of course, the media that are reporting this kind of stuff and say, oh, look, isn't that nice? You know, well, there's hot springs in the area. It's not natural, or it's natural that that, that, that would happen, you know. But, I mean, these kind of people are going to be, the media people, the talking heads, are going to try and distract people and play things like that down right up until the bitter end, if there is a bitter end coming, or until something major happens. They're going to be, like, pointing at the incoming space rock and going, oh, look, it's a nice big... Uh, it's a new uh, satellite uh, that's approaching. You know, everybody takes some pictures of it, you know, right up until the point that it hits them on the head, and then that, that's the end of the story, you know. So definitely you need to use your own seeing potential and uh, or seeing abilities uh, to interpret what's going on and not fall into that kind of like, oh, it's everything's okay, and not be too worried about it either. You know, this planet has gone through repeated kind of cataclysms over and over again, and... You know, stuff happens, but, you know, you just got to take in a kind of hoot and holler kind of approach to it, you know, where you just say, bring it on, but and, uh, not in the way Bushman. And there are also, just to give you some practical uh, ideas, because there are some, uh, first, I think the cosmic threats are much greater than the political uh, or conflict uh, threats. So that's what uh, one thing to focus on. And uh, if I was living in the US, I would not uh, settle too much up north because the global cooling is uh, very likely. And uh, I would not settle too close to the coast and not settle uh, in the mountains. And I would try to live in, a, to be integrated to my local community for solidarity and helping each other. And I would do some canning and uh, get ready. It's really for the worst or for the best, and uh, take what happens, and maybe, uh, and we we'll see, we we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. we'll find out. That is true. Yeah. Well, no, you can you can rely on the fact that we'll be broadcasting and talking and speaking about this until the bitter end, where whatever the bitter end is, you know. So if not, space rock falls on our head. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, if that maybe that's a little bit of comfort to you that you know whatever you're seeing, you know, we're we're, we're watching it too. And, We'll be reporting on it. Well, um, well, I, I wish you guys the best too. And um, okay, as far as it goes, I mean, um, I like to hear from Laura again too. When you get her back okay. on the show, I do like yeah. that she has. We'll get her on. Yeah, we will. And well, and anyway, call, call in again. 
Call us again sometime. I, I, I'll treat. be sure to. I'll try to call you next week. Definitely. Okay. Okay. Take care, Noah. All right. Thank you, guys. You're also done. Keep the All faith. Right. Bye-bye. Bye, Noah. Okay, so apologies to our listeners. It's not our fault, but then... Oh, shit, I just... I think I might have... Sorry about that profanity. I think I might have just cut off our previous guy. Um, who the was Android. Listening. Yeah, he might have cut back in. He might cut Anyway, uh, I was going to say sorry to our listeners. I think our audio is a bit choppy tonight. That's to do with our um, bandwidth connection, or internet connection. It's a bit slow, maybe. Um, I hope we're coming, we're coming through sort of loud and clear. Or at least intelligible. Um, I just wanted to talk, get back to this, uh, do it kind of quickly because maybe we want to get into other things, but just uh, Kerry's nonsense. And, uh, it's just it is obscene uh, what he's been saying. Um, he actually had the cojones to come out with this uh, claim that, as part of his, what we know is that, I think he said 1,500 people were killed. 14 something, yeah. Yeah, 1,400. He's, he's citing the. Uh, that figure uh, based on what the Al-Qaeda rebels, the Syrian rebels, are, which is basically Al-Qaeda in Syria, have said. Right now, they're... They're Very from, reliable. Well, they're, they're right up there uh, in terms of um, the suspects for the people who actually carried out this attack. So they're obviously going to... Uh, and I'm blaming it on Assad, so they're going to have inflated figures. But... Um, there are two other, at least two other groups, Medicine Sans Frontier and um, the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, who, who said that 322, that's the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, and Medicine Sans Frontier said 355. So Kerry has inflated those figures by 400% plus right. uh, and based it on what Al-Qaeda in uh, Syria have said. So this guy, as a representative of the U.S. government, who is fighting war and terror against Al-Qaeda because... They carried out 9-11 and killed 3,000 Americans in 9-11, supposedly. He is using their figures. He is basically in league with them, in the same camp as them, and, and promoting their evidence uh, for what happened in, in, in Damascus a couple of weeks ago. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I'm just going to quote you something else he said as part of that speech. As a father, this is John Kerry, as a father, I can't get the image out of my head of a man who held up his dead child. <clears throat> wailing while chaos swirled around him. The images of entire families dead in their beds without a drop of blood or even a visible wound. Bodies contorting in spasms, human suffering that we can never ignore or forget. Anyone who could claim that an attack of this staggering scale could be contrived or fabricated, that's us, needs to check their conscience and their own moral compass. So saying that anybody who suggests that this was not Assad as he knows it was, based on no evidence whatsoever, they need to check their conscience and their moral compass. <clears throat> but the people who are suggesting that it was not Assad are suggesting that it was Al-Qaeda. And Kerry himself and all of the American government admit that Al-Qaeda is, m- makes up the main contingent of the Syrian rebels. Mm-hmm. So people are suggesting that Syrian rebels, Syrian rebels, i.e. Al-Qaeda, carried out this attack. Now, Kerry says anybody who says that needs to check their conscience and their moral compass. But... Why would anybody have a problem with the idea, least of all Kerry and the American government, have a problem with the idea that Al-Qaeda carried out a chemical attack? Didn't they kill 3,000 people in 9-11? What's a little chemical attack to them? But you're, no, you're not allowed to suggest that. 
You have to check your moral compass. Now, because now America's working with them, and Al Qaeda suddenly goes from hating the Western infidels to hating the Arabs. Exactly. How did that turn about happen? We missed a step. But I wanted to point out that uh, you read Cistro's fourth Catalinarian speech, uh, the third or fourth Mm -hmm. Catalinarian speech. That was the same stuff, the same images that he did. Imagine your children's bodies burning in flames because, you know, I mean, it's just. It's it's a two thousand year old rhetorical trick, you know, and it's ridiculous. I wanted to point out though that people should know that he did not give a single piece of evidence. You know, he said we know that the missiles came from controlled areas, but he didn't say what area the missile came from. He should have said it came from five two three four West Akbar Street, uh, the top of the building, which is the Department of Motor Vehicles for the Assad regime. If he had said that, that would be a piece of evidence. Okay, we can check that. But he didn't. He didn't say any checkable facts. He didn't say which region it came from. So he didn't present any evidence by the rules of evidence because he didn't give you any facts that can be investigated. Can you say is this a fact? Is not? He just said we know that it came from Assad-controlled regime. Well, what's the criteria for that kind of uh, that, that Assad-controlled area? We don't know. And there's something else. What you describe is a proper investigation and proper proper legal procedure with evidence, with investigation conducted by an independent party. And oh, here, independent party. Here, here, it's not the case at all. You have biased sources. You have no independent commission. You have no proper investigation, no proper court. And that's why there is this little switch in this discourse. He's not invoking law. He's invoking moral. And emotion. emotion. So we're in a world that is less and less ruled by law and more and more ruled by emotions and uh, arbitrary moral to justify illegal acts. And he drives home the children aspect. The children. Think of the children. Think of the father holding the broken body of his child as as the explosions or or the chaos swirls around him. Notice that use of that. The the scene he described of of bodies lined up. We've all seen the image of bodies lined up wrapped in white shrouds. Uh And then the image that they put with the speech in the New York Times and elsewhere was an image from a massacre that had occurred in Iraq. They took a 10-year-old photo and stuck it up. He was describing an attack in Iraq that's what, years ago. Right? That's why they that's did part of his rhetoric. That's right. why there's no facts, because he needs to spin. They need to it up. In Yugoslavia, they did the same with Srebrenica slaughter. And later on, it was discovered that the, the corpses were not slaughtered right before the Yugoslavian war and there's in Srebrenica. There's a second it thing, was made up. There's a second thing that he, he, he mentions in the speech, which is all of the, uh, the convenient... Uh, cell phone camera footage and stuff like that from from the witnesses, right? Which I mean, amazingly placed. <laughs> All these people with cell phones in this country, and you look at what they're—I mean, it really looks like a, a very third world area. But apparently, they all have iPhones. Mm-hmm. And he he posts those those photos. He talks about those videos that they posted. But there's a slight problem with them. And the one is that the people who are like grabbing the bodies and stuff like that—they're not really showing any signs of. Being, they're not see, showing signs of being exposed. He says that the doctors and nurses um, were exposed too, but actually, according to other reports, the doctors and nurses were not exposed, and that was what a lot of experts in chemical weapons were saying as evidence that it wasn't an actual chemical weapons attack because you see people without masks and without any kind of like protective gear running and grabbing and carrying bodies. It says, but if this was a chemical weapon attack, 
they should be, you know, falling down and their eyes should be puffy and they should be choking. And and then another guy mentioned that the foam coming out of their mouth was too white. He said that if it was a real chemical weapons attack, it would have a mixture of blood in it, or at least it would be kind of flimmy. But it was like pure white, as if someone had put like Alka Seltzer in their mouth or mm-hmm. something like that. And there's yeah. something else: the the way he invokes, the way he tries to uh, stimulate our emotions by describing those corpses without blood and without wounds because they were killed by chemical weapons. It's as if between the lines, the message is chemical weapons are worse than what we call I don't know classical weapons. Yeah. But when you think about it. When the U.S. forces kill millions with drones or traditional weapons, it's the same as using chemical weapons. So you start to wonder if it's not a uh, convenient excuse, this uh, Geneva Convention and forbidden uh, weapons that uh, nobody respects, to point the finger yeah, conveniently as the, this regime or that regime you want to get rid of because it's not proven periodistic. Mm-hmm. It's the weapon of the poor. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, and it's not even Geneva Conventions that they're citing. They don't. They're not citing anything at all, really. They they're citing something called international norms. I mean, it it, it kind of makes a mockery. It's true what he says in a sense, but if you read by, between the lines, he's saying that they're, you know, he doesn't have anything to hang it on. There's no law. There's no international law. There is no international law, basically. Right. You know what I mean? There's nothing to govern to say one state can or can't do anything on, right. on its own, whatever it decides. So. Um, Essentially, this is an illegal, it has to be an illegal act. Anything they do towards Syria is illegal because it's not, there is no international law. So, but the Americans, he, he in his speech, Kerry in his speech goes on to explain why they should act or why it matters. And but before we get into that, they, he, it's not just about him not providing evidence. He actually twists and lies about certain things and omits a lot of things, you know. I mean, at one point he cites the, uh, <clears throat> that the Arabs, and the Muslims are also against this. He says that the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, uh, which is uh, uh, I've never uh, heard of before, yeah, it's a body with 57 uh, Islamic countries in it. Uh, they have, he said, that they have condemned Assad for this, and that uh, something needs to be done. Whatever. I don't know the words that he used, but he cites them as supporting it. But he doesn't say that. Um, this organization suspended Syria from their organization of Islamic cooperation. They suspended them on the 15th of August, which was a week before this alleged chemical attack. So they had already suspended them for other reasons. But in suspending them, they said that the decision to suspend was a message to the international community that the Islamic community stands with a politically peaceful solution and does not want any more bloodshed. That's what this Islamic organization said. But Kerry uses them selectively, cites them as backing some kind of, you know, implying that they are backing military action when they explicitly said that they stand with a politically peaceful solution and do not want any more bloodshed. Now, how much bloodshed is, you know, 800 Tomahawk cruise missiles going to inflict on the Syrian people? And then he said the Arab League, which is a more local kind of in um, the Middle East and the Maghreb along North Africa, a group of... Um, a group of countries, and they have also condemned it, and he cited them as having condemned it, uh, and, and even blaming Assad, because they're, I mean, mainly Saudi Arabia is the head of each of these organizations, and they wield all the power, 
but um, and they're a compliant state of the US. But they also condemned, etc., and Kerry pointed it out. But he failed to point out that they also said that they wanted a peaceful solution and that they did not support any military intervention. So he's a lying piece of scum. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's all the more considering the platform that he tried to get elected on. You know, I mean, it just makes it even worse, you know? Hypocrisy is all over this. You know, they go on about chemical weapons. I mean, it's so transparent and so false. The U.S. nine times, I mean, in the past hundred years, nine times the U.S. has used different types of chemical weapons. The U.S. and its Western allies that are now, you know, crying their hearts out, their bleeding hearts about this chemical attack. And they themselves have been using what we've already described, Pierre already described Fallujah, where, where in 2004 in Iraq, where they killed hundreds of people with white phosphorus, which, is, which was cited by the U.S. military, or defined by the U.S. military as a chemical weapon, even though it's in a kind of gray area. It's essentially seen by them as a chemical weapon. They use it. White, white phosphorus. Yeah, it is, yes, it is. It is. Yeah. So, um, you know, the first people to use, as I've said in previous shows, the first people to use chemical weapons were was the Brits under Churchill in 1919 against the Arabs. Hey, you know, nothing ever changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but almost 100 years ago, they started using it for the first time, and they're doing it uh, again today. Of course, they're putting it on the side, but today it's got to the point where they're using the chemical weapons against the Arabs and blaming the Arabs for it. Back in 1919, they had no problem because Churchill famously said, you know, he is uh, fully supports the idea of using chemical weapons against uh, an uncivilized uh, tribe or Arab tribe, you know. Among among the repulsive comments there from Kerry, he begins that by saying something like, well, I know we had Iraq before that, um, but this is different. And he just how he just cast away the Iraq problem as that moment. Mm. That moment was you know a mistake or whatever. That moment that's ten years. It's still going on. It, in fact, it's, it's ramped up in the last few months mm-hmm. this year. And both Obama and Kerry, both of them in their speeches, have said, "I know the American pe- people and people around the world are weary of war after Iraq and Afghanistan." And both of them said, follow that up by saying, none are more weary than I am. But I just want to get this quick one in before I go to bed, you know, because I need to sleep. You know, I mean, yeah. it's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, it'll just be a two-day two airstrike, and that'll be a yeah. problem solved. It's like, I, really, I, am the, I am the most anti-war guy in the whole world. You know, know me. I got a peace prize, Jesus you know. Christ. I got a Nobel Peace Prize. You know me. I don't like war. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got you know, Hitler was Time Magazine Man of the Year. Yeah, know? exactly. He's like, you know, I'm no one is more weary of war than I am. What's that? Oh, yeah, just drones. Yeah, go ahead and fire those. Yeah, oh, do the yeah. drones in Yemen. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> I'm weary. Yeah, of this war, but I just I think we need to do it because yes, there have been six drone attacks during this last two weeks where all the focus has been on Syria, so its operations are all a go-go-go elsewhere. And who, how can we not cite Agent Orange oh, yeah. in Vietnam Agent Orange. for 10 years? Uh, 400,000 Vietnamese dead from Agent Orange specifically, dropped by the U.S., and half a million babies born with defects. Yeah. 30 years ago, you know? Still today, and 40 years ago. Iraq, the the sort of Another gray area, but it, I would, I mean, its results are the same. It's a chemical weapon. 
the munitions they use. Depleted uranium. Depleted uranium. Yeah, it's so going to have whole generations of a country of 25 million born with defects. Yeah, it, that's all on the U.S. government's hands. They may even use depleted uranium on Syria. Use uh, essentially what is a chemical yeah. because, I mean, there's there's debate over whether or not you know DU causes any kind of you know chemical effects, but it, it does because when you when depleted uranium shell it hits. Uh, you know, a building or a, a tank or a reinforced, you know, whatever car. Uh, it basically it it, it 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 turns into metal dust yes. that is then inhaled yeah. uh, and causes cancers and all sorts of things. So it's very definitely. And I think the UN actually, uh, when they did a study on it in um, back in 1997, they wrote a, a paper, a UN working paper, it was delivered in 2002. And uh, the authors of it said that um, the weapons, along with other weapons listed by the subcommission, uh, uh, probably breach one or more of the following treaties. Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the Charter of the United Nations, the Genocide Convention, the United Nations Convention Against Torture, the Geneva Conventions, including Protocol 1, and the Convention on Conventional Weapons of 1980, and the Chemical Weapons Convention. So the U.S. decided that the EU uh, it is a chemical weapon, <coughs> and anybody who uses it is breach of the Chemical Weapons Convention amongst right. all the others. But no as, as soon as that report is made and it, voted on and presented to us and accepted, that becomes international law, i.e. An, an international uh, norm. That's how international, international law works. International law is I, such I a know, but, word, but just you know. to, to yeah. use their own, that, that is yeah. on paper what... Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. When, when the UN resolution go their way? They claim them and they apply them, but when they don't go their way, they don't respect them. And just one word about depleted uranium. The word suggests that it's depleted from radioactivity. It is not the case. Depleted uranium is still radioactive. And as Joe said, when depleted uranium bullets, because of the very high atomic weight, there's a lot of momentum. It's very efficient for going through tanks. So it's used a lot. But when you hit tanks or hard matter, literally pulverized. And uh, there's a fundamental difference between being exposed to radiation that can be distant through uh, ionizing uh, rays, radiation, and having radioactive particles in your body. If you have a, a radioactive active particle in your body, like you breathe in a particle or particles of depleted uranium, it means you're going to have radioactive matter, for example, in your lung. So you're going to have a, the nucleus for genetic mutation, cancer. It's much, much more dangerous. And when you see the, the safety protocols in a nuclear power plants, radiation is okay. You have to stay below a certain level uh, every year, but particle is a big no-no. Yeah. It's, the most dan it's much more dangerous. So you can't escape it. You have constant exposure. That means that the U.S. solution to a possible chemical weapons attack in Syria is to launch a chemical weapons attack on Syria. Yeah, pretty much. That's probably what their plan is going to be. And I mean, this is all in the context of, okay, if we take, even if we take Kerry's inflated <laughs> Al-Qaeda figures of 1,400 people, uh, this comes on the back of two, over two years of a Syrian, quote, revolution that was started by... The, Saudi, the Saudis with the backing of Western and, and the Qatari government with the backing of Western governments 
uh, against Assad with fake opposition that has led to the death of 60,000 people over those two and a half years, all of them directly attributable to these Western governments because they are the ones who facilitated this to happen. So 60,000 compared to one chemical weapon attack, even if Assad did it, is pales in comparison. But obviously, that's the thing. Even entertaining the idea that Assad did it is mind-numbingly stupid. He, he simply wouldn't have done it. I mean, because it's yeah. it's 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 like shooting yourself in the foot, yeah. like putting the gun point blank range and saying this won't hurt, and pulling the trigger. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even like an accident. Like, oh, he was fumbling, and oh, shot myself in the foot. That was an accident. I mean, this is like completely and total conscious stupidity. Absolutely, he can it can have no serious effect. He can't kill enough of the rebels for if he had killed all the rebels at once with a chemical weapon attack, then you could say, well, maybe he did it because whatever, because it was so effective. But to kill such a small number of people and basically screw himself completely over in the eyes and yeah. lose all credibility, yeah. he would lose all credibility forever in the eyes of every single foreign power. I think that may be touching on the reason why this just didn't fly. But, but Jason, for you to say that, John Kerry says that you should check your conscience and your moral compass. Well, no, I shouldn't because it's not really about a conscience in this case. Yeah, but you know, he wants people to be feely, feely about it. No, no, no. This, this is conscience. about simple logic. I mean, this is cold logic. J- Jason, cold. no, leave logic reason. at home. Do not read reason. This is about Honor. law. As I think it was Aristotle who said that the law is is reason free from passion. You know, I mean, this is a matter of law. A crime has been committed. You, emotion has nothing to do with it. Not when a crime has been committed, you have to go into it saying, "Well, hold on a second. Who really did it?" Because you want justice, and justice can only come if you find out the truth, and the truth can only be found if you don't go into it, you know, with some sort of hate or fear or distaste or disgust. Those things have no place in a discussion about law. Which is why Kerry made his legal, pseudo-legal case uh, in a way that was full of emotional manipulation about a father holding his dead child, wailing chaos. You know, swirling they bolt. should have been sleeping in their beds, swirling. <clears throat> this is what his speech was about, and it has nothing, like you just said, has nothing to do with logic or facts or the truth. It's all emotional manipulation, and that is the that is He needs to check his moral compass, because if those children really did die, then they deserve to have justice. And the quickest, the most expedient and correct way to find the absolute who was responsible, who pulled the trigger, who gave the order, and the whole chain... From A to Z, you have to do that correctly to make sure that the people are found and punished correctly, if that's what you believe in. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to do it with this whole emotional, oh, we think it was him, we have, we know, we know. He wants to emotionally blind people with emotions so he can carry on, or the Americans can carry on their, their warmongering uh, with impunity, a word that he uses repeatedly, but it's impunity that the Americans are seeking impunity to attack another country with no cause whatsoever and kill thousands have, or more. I have another word, compunction. He lies with yes. compunction. He lies yeah. with compunction, you know? How yeah. about we do our own investigation based on what's publicly available? First question I have is, did something actually happen? Yes. Well, let's, 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 base, let's go to the one piece of evidence that he presented and supposedly will be verified even though it's going to take two weeks for the results to come in, but he claims that the UN 
inspectors who were there on the day that this happened, who were planning to look into a previous alleged attack, and this is when Assad decided to do it. Yeah, he's a smart guy. Yeah, they were yeah. 15 minutes away, staying in a nearby hotel. Yeah, yeah. Like the Americans in the West have been trying, have been trying to get uh, find a way to a, to attack him for two and a half years. Uh, he, but, but apparently he wasn't aware of that. And they had used the claim of chemical weapons previously, like months, months and months ago. Apparently, he wasn't aware of that either. <clears throat> he wasn't aware that they were trying to use <clears throat> the chemical weapons claim as a justification for their attack on him. So he went ahead and used the chemical weapon on the very day that the UN inspector was right there. Right next to the right UN inspector. Right next to them. He may as well just give, <laughs> given them the shell. He said, here you go. <laughs> I mean, it's just a ridiculous thing. But anyway, so they have... They have uh, Done their their investigation and be a couple of weeks before the the results are in. But Kerry claims he already knows and that the the hair, hair samples and maybe and blood samples from first responders he claimed uh, showed signs of sarin gas or or sarin uh, compounds in their blood and in their hair samples. Right. So this is is one piece of actual supposed evidence. The rest is just emotional manipulation. But back in May this year. A UN team was in, uh, had been in Syria because there was some allegation of a small amount of chemical weapons being used or whatever. And the day that they that this attack happened and the UN were there, this most recent attack happened, they were there to follow up on that first investigation. And the results of that first, first investigation were released back in May. I mean, the preliminary results. They were just going for a follow-up uh, a couple of weeks ago. And they spoke specifically about sarin gas, the, ga- the gas, the chemical weapon that Kerry claims Assad used. And this is the one of the, the lead investigator. Her name's Carla Del Ponte, and this is what she said. During our investigation for crimes against humanity and war crimes, uh, we collect some witness testimony that. Uh, that made to appear that uh, some uh, chemical weapons were used, in particular nerving gas. And what was, uh, what appeared on, um, um, to our investigation that uh, that was uh, used by the opponents, by the rebels. And we have no, no indication at all that the government Syria, uh, the authority of the Syria government had used chemical weapons. So there you go. That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. And yet it's been turned completely on its head. And Kerry knows, we know, you, you should listen to his, his speech. He uses we know at the start of, of, of every paragraph. You know what it reminds me of? That Rumsfeld speech about the known unknowns. Yeah. And the unknown unknown knowns. It was just completely... Out there, but he was referring to Iraq and the evidence for weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it just shows you that the person who wrote his speech just was, you know, kind of a student of rhetoric. You know? I mean, it's just, it's just a classical kind of composition. They're yeah. priming. We know. Yeah, we know. We know. We know. We know. Yeah, yeah. It's just like constantly the repetition yeah. of that, that that begins starting links each point together. And sub hypnotic. Yeah, it's yeah, it's got a hypnotic effect. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to. Um, on the topic of that, again, with the whole chemical thing. We have to ask the particular question of whether or not a chemical attack really happened at that time. And a lot of people have said that it doesn't show from whatever evidence they've seen, from the video evidence they've seen, like I said before, that no 
it doesn't look like a chemical weapons attack. There was no, there's no smoking gun. There's a lot of smoke, but there's not enough choking people in the various videos that have come out or pictures. That basically, it just it, it looks very suspicious. Um, one of the uh, I have like a couple of quotes here. Um, see, this is uh, Paula Vinenin, director of Verifin, the Finnish Institute of Verification for the Chemical Weapons Convention. At the moment, I am not totally convinced because the people that are helping them are without any protective clothing and without any respirators. In a real case, they would also be contaminated and would be having symptoms. And that was something that they did. Um, of the videos I've seen for the last few hours, none of them show uh, pinpoint pupils. This would indicate exposure to organophosphorus nerve agents. Uh, things like that. I mean, people, all these experts who have been viewing the videos are saying that it just it doesn't look right. It's not what I would expect. The the foam from the mouth is, mm. is really does <clears throat> looks unnaturally white. The you know all the people helping they're running around. Nobody's choking and falling over and spasming the way that they should. You know, there's people standing around who aren't suffering. So it's like it doesn't really look like they even bothered to use real sarin gas. Yeah, and it's not because Carla Del Ponte, after an investigation in May of this year, found evidence that the rebels used sarin gas, right. that the victims on those videos were uh, subjected to sarin gas in August, and uh, it's even less, uh, it, there's even less proof that this alleged sarin gas uh, was uh, um, used by uh, Ashraf. Uh, as, as forces. Yeah, there was a real Cloverfield kind of feel to all of the all the videos. You know that, that movie that I think J.J. Abrams did about like an alien attack where everything's done with like a handy cam and it's supposed to be like a from the thick of it type of thing, you know, mm -hmm. and, and all the camera work is it's just so that you can never really see what's going on and, it, you know, and, and you just get like little snippets and that's kind of what it seemed like well, to me from the little I saw. I found an analysis of the videos that pointed out that the bulk of them came from just two YouTube accounts. So right. John Kerry and his thousands of people on the ground. It was actually two guys. Um, and the upload date, funnily enough, is August 20th on all of them, mm. or at least the ones I checked. This event happened on August 21st, uh, which made me wonder if it's if footage from something else. Right. It was staged. If it was, I it's mean, hard to know, and it's not unlikely that, that it was staged to some extent. But... What, there's actually a statement from a rebel group saying, and, and from local residents, yeah. saying that they were disgusted yeah. uh, by the allegation. As far as they're concerned, this, if anything was done, it was set up by uh, an al-Qaeda, mm -hmm. not one of us. I mean, we've got to remember there are many factions here. Mm -hmm. They also said that they believe that Saudi Arabia supplied whatever chemical actual weapon. chemicals they were using. Um, yeah, and that they were given the, the narrative from, from them is that, that these uh, low-level rebels who were supplied the, uh, some kind of chemical uh, mortar by some Al-Qaeda group and not told what it was and told to just fire it. These low-level people just fired it and then realized afterward what they had done so that even they were set up the actual... Well, you know, just put the, the, the secret shells in, into their weapons cache. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't even have to tell them, hey, go fire this mm. gas. I mean, yeah. that's pretty much what they claim. As far as the Syrian government's concerned, they issued a statement shortly after this broke and said that they sent uh, military forces to this 
neighborhood. And what they found was tunnels with containers of some kind of chemicals. And they, they, they filmed what they were finding. And you see on the side of this stuff, made in KSA, which is suggested that is from Kosovo. Um, additionally, they said that there was no one there. I mean, the place was deserted. The only casualties, as far as they're concerned, are three of their own troops who were taken ill right. from investigating these tunnels. So that's their statement. Right. Yeah. Then later on, a Chinese reporter went in and filmed this site. So this is not available. It's been broadcast in China, of course. It's also available on YouTube. This is the only actual video footage that we know is of the alleged district where right. this happened. Right. And what you have is exactly what, I mean, they, they will say the Syrian government may have set this up, but you have them being shown these tunnels. Here's all this equipment, right. close-ups. Um, I can't remember for sure, but I think it's not just that they said made in KSA suggesting Kosovo, but that there was another link or statement, um, something like somehow they, they, they could show the packages were from Saudi Arabia. I don't know if it was made in Saudi Arabia. On it. Well, I did read something from uh, from Joe's article or something like that that was saying that uh, some of them were from um, Turkey. Mm-hmm. Some of the chemicals they were talking about, uh, industrial toxicants, they were loading up their um, mm-hmm. their shells with various industrially toxic chemicals. Well, that's one of the experts actually like said that, that, that the, the evidence of the, of the symptoms that people were experiencing as seen in these YouTube videos looked more like they had been exposed to some kind of industrial toxicant rather than an actual chemical weapon. And that goes back to the video that these Syrian rebels supposedly put up earlier this year on YouTube where they where they had a rabbit in a in a, in a glass case and they put in some kind of mixture yeah. of yeah, and, it, and the chemicals they were using were Turkish uh, Turkish of a Turkish chemical factory. Yeah. Um, the Turks are real evil bastards in this. I, I I've never been so disgusted. Maybe because well, the Turks a few years ago, you know, they seemed to be saying the right things when it came to yeah. standing up for Palestinians in Gaza. Yeah. My God, it's just for show. They put on this show of they were standing up to Israel while all these backroom deals go on. Mm-hmm. And in this case, in fact, in the U.S. narrative, this is just supposed to have happened. And, oh, okay, we need to go and save these people. Mm-hmm. But the ones talking explicitly about regime change who have said it over the last two years, our goal is to get rid of, to change the regime, is the Turks. Mm-hmm. And that is basically the CIA and NATO speaking through mm-hmm. them. What is disgusting, too, is the change of position of France that uh, a few years ago, you had Dominique de Villepin, uh, the French uh, Minister for Foreign Affairs, that was uh, delivering the speech in front of the UN Assembly, opposing firmly the invasion of Iraq, probably as Joe emphasized more because of geopolitical reasons than humanitarian reasons. And now François Hollande, the French president, is the leader of the warmongers. So what a change and about this topic as well. The source that was mentioned previously is Médecins Sans Frontières, a French organization. And uh, humanitarian organizations are very handy because they have this veneer of uh, 
humanism. And legitimacy and independence. Yeah, but it's a spy nest, and there's some bizarre, efficient tools for propaganda. And if you look at the history of uh, Médecins Sans Frontières, it was funded by Bernard Kouchner, a flaming Zionist by his own account, who was the Ministry of Foreign Affairs during Operation Castled, and uh, who kept supporting the expansionist policy of Israel. Mm. So the words coming from this allegedly humanitarian organization should really be taken with a pinch of salt. Yeah, well, to put that in context, um, Kerry didn't even rely on the figures and the reports from these kind of uh, front organizations like Médecins Sans Frontières, uh, who said 335 people died. He went directly to Al-Qaeda in Syria, and they, he called them independent channels, by the way. Independent but channels. That's independent channels in Syria. They said 1,500, 1,400 people. But... Um, just on the whole UN thing and the UN inspectors thing and the evidence that they might present, <clears throat> there's a little historical context here that goes back to the 2003 invasion, Turkey shoot, uh, occupation of Iraq, where there's, a, there's an organization apart from the UN weapons inspectors who would go and oversee you know, any kind of WMDs. There's an organization called the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. And it's an intergovernmental organization. It's located in The Hague in the Netherlands. And it promotes and verifies adherence to Chemical Weapons Convention, uh, prohibiting use of chemical weapons, etc. So they, and they are funded by a bunch of different governments and states, you know, uh, who fund them in their work. They're kind of like a second investigatory body into chemical, specifically chemical weapons. Back in, um, back in 2002, the, uh, the head of it, was a Brazilian dip diplomat called Jose Bustani. And uh, John Bolton, who shortly thereafter became uh, the U.S. Uh, rep um, what do you call it? ambassador, U.N. ambassador, John Bolton got rid of him, uh, spearheaded a, an attempt, a successful attempt to boot him out of his job because at the time, this Bustani guy was trying, and this was in 2002, trying to get and said he could get Saddam Hussein, <clears throat> the Iraqi government, to sign up to the Chemical Weapons Convention. Of course, at that time, what the U.S. was doing was manipulating, and, and the Brits were manipulating everybody, everywhere, in every way they could, to make sure that they maintained this idea that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction, because that was the only reason they were left with for any kind of invasion. So they, in terms of their respect, because Kerry in his speech yesterday uh, claimed that they have great respect for the UN and its job and its investigation, and they have a direct, they have they have a track record here, a very similar organization who wanted to supposedly give them what they wanted. Saddam, you want to get rid of Saddam's weapons of mass destruction? You want to get him to comply? I can do it. I can deliver. I can go in there and I can get Saddam's signature on that convention. And they said oops, you got to go. And they trumped up, got a bunch of people, manipulated a bunch of other countries to all vote him out of power, which it wasn't even, a lot, it wasn't even legal at the time, uh, got him out of power and put in one of their puppets, and then they were able to continue on with their phony uh, weapons of mass destruction claim. So uh, it's just another example of how Kerry's speech is so full of lies, well, he, he was exposed right there. 
um, just yesterday, when Russia Today um, headline was something like, latest NSA leak reveals that U.S. government has been spying on the U.N. That's not actually news, but the timing of it, you know, was like, oh, we respect the U.N., we respect the U.N. <laughs> and it was just, Russia Today, of course, you know, Putin's, let's call it his anti-propaganda tool, just throws that out there to remind people. Yeah, and John Kerry today is uh, typically himself of the as the hero of uh, protecting children, and humanity, and fighting against suffering and death. But if you look at his uh, curriculum vitae, is the opposite of that. He was a member of Cousin. In 2004, he ran for election and neutralized the de- Democratic left forces in the U.S., enabling somehow the election of Bush, who would conduct the second invasion of uh, Iraq, and John Kerry has been elected for years, never heard him opposing firmly the invasion of Afghanistan, the Castel operation in Palestine, the Iraqi invasion. He's not a, a peaceful uh, a, a defender of peace and freedom. He's a war mirror. So now, out of the blue, he's starting to <clears throat> depict himself as the the savior of humanity and yeah. uh, the defender of the, the poor and the oppressed, that's such a scam. The most interesting thing about that, though, is like, you know, I spent 20 years in America. I never heard the name Jim, you know, John Kerry. Mm. Who, who is this guy? I never, you know, it's all these people right now that they're just sort of like nobodies, but it's obvious that they've kind of been cultivated up mm-hmm. and that they're in, put into position now to be mouthpieces. I mean, John mm-hmm. Kerry, he's not talking about his opinion. He's, he's reading a script mm-hmm. somebody wrote for him, mm-hmm. an actor, because... One time he says one thing, the next time he says another thing, and you think, oh, he's just duplicitous. No, he's just an actor. He probably doesn't believe any of it. You know, he just wants to, you know, to go back to his job and get his get his cocaine or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know, he. Um, they talk with Saren. Who uh, Saren Gas? Where was it first synthesized? Where was it invented? I, I thought it was probably first used yeah. during the First World War before 1919. Uh, no, German, French? No, it wasn't used for the second world war. It was used in the second world war. But, Camp Dietrich. Um, no. Uh, it's, it's a bit more murky than that. Uh, it was discovered in 1938 in, Germ- <sighs> in Germany by scientists at IG Farben. Wow. Um, they were attempting to create stronger pesticides and stumbled on the fortuitous discovery that, in fact, you could kill bugs and people with this. So... Um, uh, it's the most toxic of the four G-series nerve agents that have been made by Germany. But IG Farben, IG Farben was a big, giant kind of uh, chemical company in Germany and was involved in producing all sorts of you know, things like sarin and different um, xylon uh, B, which was supposed to be used in the gas chambers, etc. So they produced this. They're a pharmaceutical company, essentially, or were. But Prescott Bush... George W. Bush's grandfather had uh, links with him. He essentially uh, was a partner in their company with another company. They kind of, and he was done. He was he was he was prosecuted for aiding the enemy during World War II because he right. kept up his contacts all the way through. And uh, <clears throat> so, IG Farben then was kind of closed down. Um, none of the directors were prosecuted and then given early release and given their jobs back. About a year after they as were, as long as they keep making the poison for yeah, exactly. The new guys. But it spun off eventually. It was broken up, and it became it became um, Bayer. 
Well, no, it be, yeah, Bio was in it, but it became a company called uh, Shiba Gegi and Sandoz. Mm. And Sandoz, I've talked about before, which was the producer of LSD for the CIA, or well, originally for the CIA. Um, and the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds had their dirty fingers all over this at the time. But um, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. That uh, the origin of Turn basically was a company that um, has had links to George Bush's grandfather, and well, it I also actually has the company, the uh, Novartis, which is today uh, which is a spin-off ultimately of those companies as well. Um, was kind of um, uh, was broken up, but it was re- recreated as um, Novartis, and Novartis just before Obama started uh, his first term. Um, the, he signed on the on the advice of uh, Bush officials. He he rubber stamped a a big uh, contract to Novartis for uh, flu vaccines. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's so like for five hundred million dollars. So there's a, there's a trail there that goes back, you know, right up to today. You know, back to IG Forbin and Prescott Bush and the development of Sarin. Going right back to today, to the same type of company being a five hundred million dollar contract to produce flu flu vaccines. Prescott, Skull and Bones, John Kerry, Skull, Skull and Bones. Bones. Yep. John Kerry is an admitted member of Skull and Bones, and it's all, it's all uh, just fun and giggles, really. Apparently, hush, hush. yeah. I mean, these guys are all connected in various different ways, and then, you know. Yeah. Kerry, Kerry, I think he's. I think he's enjoyed, or it has been suitable for his role, that he is kind of a grey man that no one really knows. He is prominent now, of course, but his real work has predominantly been done in the shadows. You know, it's another, it's a classic example of someone with a lot more power, really, than they publicly have. Happily accepting a sort of outwardly, it looks like a crappy consultancy advisory role, but he's actually. You know, it's is that these connected with serious things. Kind of, it's kind of like like football. You know, you know, if you watch a football game, any kind of football game, there's a lot of people sitting on the benches, but some at one point somebody's going to hold up a little sign, and and he's he's going to come on the field, and the other guy's going to come off. Yeah, all right. And that's you know that's how politics is. We may have a call here. Let me just check. It. Hi, do we have a caller? Uh, yes. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, which good. Where are you calling from? Uh, I'm calling from Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Nice. And I heard you guys talking earlier about the um, sarin gas. Yeah. Didn't yeah. um didn't Hitler use that in World War Two? He did. And I also I also had a question for you guys in regards to what's going on in Syria. Um, I know that, well, we all know the United States funds Israel, but also they're funding the Egyptian military to the tune of $1.3 billion a year. Do you feel that at some point, because my theory is, all they're trying to do is unify the entire region. Do, do Even though Egypt has already balked and said, oh, we're not going to get involved, we don't agree with this, do you mm-hmm. feel that at some point 
the United States is going to use Israel and Egypt because they fund both militaries as proxies for this impending confrontation Egypt, that we Egypt, all know Egypt is going to happen. Egypt has been involved from the very beginning. It has been okay. sending, in fact, encouraging uh, jihadists go to Syria to topple the evil regime. So a lot of the bodies have actually come from Egypt. And uh, the switch in the region that you mentioned is uh, under progress with uh, what's called the, the Arab Spring. Over the last year, you've been, uh, we've been witnessing a lot of refugee change that became that are now pro, pro-U.S. and pro-Israel. Uh, apart from uh, Syria and uh, all the other countries in Northern Africa, Maghreb and the Middle East, uh, are actually pro-U.S. and uh, pro-Israel. The change is uh, is going on, and it's not best. I just have something to say on this whole uniting. You you were saying something on the lines of you want to unite the region or something like that? No, no. I was just saying that okay. my theory is is that they're going to unify the region because you know it's already in a, the North American region is already they've already signed off on that. You know, you, where, I'm sorry, the North American Union, which is Canada, mm-hmm. the United States, and I think like a small part of Mexico, and then there's the South American Union that's mm-hmm. going to go along with the European Union. And I just feel like, and I'm just saying, this is just my theory, so there's no truth to this. I'm just projecting. I'm just thinking that what they're doing is unifying the Middle Eastern region. And I had a couple of more questions. One of them involved, do you guys know anything about Syria um, nationalizing their central bank? Because I've heard some things about this where they're trying to eliminate their central banking system and make it a a nationalized banking system? Because isn't there certain countries in the Middle East that are not a part of the uh, IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and what's the other organization, the other banking organization? The World Bank and IMF. Some countries are not part of it. Right. Absolutely, and I think ultimately that is the goal. The goal in all of this, in terms of the expansion of empire and the centralization, centralization of uh, you know of power among uh, in, in these unions, is to bring every, all governments and all the people therefore under control. To have them all essentially uh, beholden to the the money lenders, you know, uh, so that they can control them. And it's hard to come up with a a, a definitive answer as to what their end goal is because I think their end goal is simply control. They simply want... The, it's almost like a sickness that they have. <clears throat> Can I say the one on that when you're done? <clears throat> yeah, well, it's a sickness that they have where they simply uh, are driven to want to control everybody and everything and anybody who steps out of line and isn't playing the game, they get extremely angry and want to destroy them. And if... if uh, or they want to bring them under, under control, and if they won't be brought under control, then they're more than willing to launch military campaigns to bring them under control. And it's basically control for control's sake, as far as they're concerned. Well, I was going okay. to say, from a grand strategy kind of perspective, I mean, the West's 
policy has kind of always been the same. I think in the Middle East and, and in certain areas, they want to create uh, disturbed regions to occupy the army because it's very dangerous to have a very large standing army all the time without a war fight. And that's usually been a recipe for a military coup. Uh, throughout history, uh, Roman times, you know, anytime you had a standing army and you didn't have an enemy to fight, um, eventually the generals would get a little bit uppity and decide that they wanted to take over or something like that. So, I mean, they want a dis- they don't want to unite or they don't want to have peace in the Middle East. They actually want to have the exact opposite. They want to have a place to send the army. They want to have a place to, to sharpen their claws, um, they, you know, test out their weapons, test out their strategies, do all this different stuff, and occupy the army so that they can maintain it and that they can they can keep things moving forward. They need to have an enemy to keep the people always in fear, to keep the people uh, making sacrifices. Because when there's a war on, everybody kind of like tightens their belt and says, "Oh well, it's wartime. We got to do this. It's you know, you got to be a patriot." And they'll accept a lot of uh, of economic you know depression and economic problems because there's a war going on. Oh, gas is more expensive. Oh, blah, 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 all this different stuff. And so they need to maintain that. And the best way to do that is to just have a region, create and cultivate regions of the world where everything's a mess and send the army in there to kill as many people as possible. Yeah, and it reminds, it actually, what you just said reminds me of George Orwell's 1984, where he has this idea of the future where the world is broken up into just three or four kind of sections or unions so even though they might centralize uh, a large number of, uh, of power amongst a large number of countries and create a union out of those countries, you might have three or four of them, but that doesn't mean you're not going to have wars between them afterwards. Right. But it's, it's much more controllable when everybody is seen as more part of one group. You know, ultimately, maybe they want to bring it down to a, just a bipolar world where it's like, you know... East and West. Yeah. And uh, this union world is misleading, of course, it's part of Orwell. Novelang, it suggests notion of unity. Solidarity, people getting together. It's just the opposite in Latin America or Europe, where you have uh, what they call unions developing. You see that actually it's destruction of rights in nations, destruction of cultures, destructions of nations, and uh, setting a centralized power, a small power for fewer oligarchs and more slaves. Basically, it's increasing the sphere of influence, increasing the sphere of control. It's, the, it's Empire 101, like in a Roman time. You have a few, few oligarch and a wide quantity of slaves. There are actually two kinds of unification processes. It's not as simple as unifying and centralization is bad, because in Latin America, for example, the process that is underway for 15 years was largely spearheaded by Hugo Chavez. And in his game, he was going to fund programs for other countries that would be beneficial for people. The problem was that that did not jive with the kind of unification of control that the empire was seeking. You had the same problem in Africa. The African Union was developing anyway. Gaddafi became instrumental in directing and funding that towards ways that would benefit people. He had to go as well. So you see, unification in a globalized world is a kind of a, a process that can be taken advantage of and vectored one way or the other. Right. And the kind of unification they want in the Middle East is the one where there is bloodshed, constant strife, the arc of crisis, as Brzezinski called it. A permanent state of low-level crisis. You can control people that way. 
And I wanted to make a comment on what Pierre was saying about slaves. I mean, people people have a weird idea about slavery. I mean, slavery is when you have to do something or else you will suffer some sort of very adverse con- consequence, right? You know, I mean, you'll die. And, and today, everyone pretty much working every day in the world is, is what they call a wage slave, but a wage slave is still a slave. What a wage slave is, is a slave where your master doesn't have to feed and clothe you and bed you, right? And it's where you get given money so you can do it yourself because they don't want the responsibility of having to build, like, a tenement house and be there and, and provide you with, like, slop. And so, basically, they give you enough money for you to buy your own slop. And uh, there's something to go further along your reasoning. Today, some people think we are not slaves anymore. We are free. And uh, by your position in antiquity, during the Roman Empire, there was a lot of slaves, so there's been a social progress. But when you look at it, at the time, slaves had food, that shelter, they had a relatively decent life, where it was not ideal, but uh, at least they had that. Today, you have a lot of people that are called working poors. They are working, they are wage slaves. And despite the slavery, they don't even have the few privileges of the slave, i.e. being able to have a decent housing and decent food. So from this perspective, we can even say that to some extent, our modern slaves are in a worse situation than the antique slaves. Yeah. Uh, at least in the same. And, and the, the usually the the argument against slavery in the old times was that, you know, masters could kill you, they could... Uh, they, there was a lot of, like, martial talks about buying slaves simply because they were sexually attractive and they wanted to abuse them and, and things like that, which was going on. And, and the thing is, is it, it hasn't changed because we're always up here talking about, like, the pedophile rings and all these mm-hmm. different, like, the, Dominique Strauss-Kahn organizing, like, sex parties with, mm-hmm. with women who are kind of, like, forced into that position because of, you know, poverty, I mean. As a general rule, that is the truth. Uh, most prostitutes, uh, no one wakes up in the morning and says, mm, I'd like to sell my body today. They usually you know, do it out of desperation, economic desperation. So, I mean, basically you have exactly the same recipe except for called free, and it's, it's, it always kind of like irks me a little bit. Mm-hmm. There, and I'd just like to interject just for a second. There is a very old saying that um, the best slave is one that thinks it's free. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and Absolutely. with that being said, with that being said, do you guys feel that um, the um, the guy that's in control in Syria, Assad, is taking such a hard stance because he has, as we see it, he has the support of Russia and China? Is that the reason why mm-hmm. that they're saying, oh well, he's just he's not budging? one iota. And then on top of that, I found what was interesting about Obama's speech about the use of chemical weapons. I think a lot of people forget that chemical weapons were used in the United States back in Waco, Texas, when Janet Reno Mm -hmm. was attorney general, and they went in there with the Branch Davidians (laughs) and shot them with cyanide gas. After they Mm -hmm. shot the whole place up, then they shot the cyanide gas in there, which is the exact same thing that's used um, in California in San Quentin for the death penalty. And I saw this Mm -hmm. documentary called, um, it's called, and anybody can look this up, it's called Rules of Engagement. 
And if you watch mm-hmm. it, and I think that documentary won an Academy Award. If I'm mm-hmm. maybe I, I might be wrong on that, but if you watch it, they show you they show you what it did. They show you can see what it did to the bodies, and these were children, women, mm-hmm. and older people that were in there. So right. I find it quite ironic that he was so vehemently opposed to chemical weapons. But at the same time, he didn't even address the fact that it was used in the United States as well. Well, that I just wanted to liar. know what you guys yeah. think about that. He's a liar and a manipulator, and you can't expect one word of truth to come out of his mouth. In fact, you can expect lies to repeatedly come out of his mouth and, and to ignore the fact that he is a massive hypocrite uh, in, in, in speaking for the American government and all that it stands for and all that it has done. <laughs> He's a massive hypocrite to point the finger at anybody else anywhere in the world and say, you use chemical weapons when the U.S. government has been the biggest and most egregious aggressor around the world for the past 100 years and has killed far more people than any other country over the last 100 years. They are, you know, if there's an axis of evil, it's the U.S. and a couple other Western nations or all of them put it's together. all the Western nations, and, uh, yeah. I mean, you should go get a book called Political Polarology. You can get it on Amazon. And uh, the, the guy who wrote it, Lobachevsky, talks about the reverse of blockade, which is where the psychopath basically just tells a bald-faced lie. And the more you say, wait a minute, that's not true. He says, of course it is. What's, what's wrong with you? Of course it is. And they keep repeating a lie, a lie, a lie. And in a certain sense, that's just an extension of it, this presupposition that it, we've never done it. Of course we've never done it. What do you, what do you mean? We never did that. That, that, that didn't happen. Of course, of course not. It, it wasn't us. No, we weren't there. It didn't happen. And uh, and obviously we didn't do it because if we did it, then we wouldn't be saying what we're saying now. Yeah. You know. And eventually the listener will sort of capitulate right. unless he stands firm because right. they can be very, very persuasive. Mm-hmm. And that is what happens on, on a mass scale. It's a pathological uh, confidence, essentially, where they appear to be so confident. Mm. I mean, who would repeat over and over again that uh, make a statement over and over again and ignore yeah. any, any, anybody who contests it and say, no, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm right. People think, well, he must be right. He's really getting you know, worked up about it. He must be telling the truth. No, yeah. he's just right. making a more... Uh, a more uh, forceful lie. He's presenting more forceful lie to you. Yeah. And that's one of our weakness as a normal human being, ordinary human beings, that when we hear a pathological leader being so confident, we think in our own minds, if I was this confident, it means I would be really sure of what I say, and what I say would be absolutely true. And we attribute to the psychopath these uh, attributes mm-hmm. that he doesn't have. Whatever he says, a psychopath can be super confident, even more confident than normal people, even when they say absolute truth that they are 100% convinced of. So this production is a trap for ordinary people. Yeah. Just look at Hitler. Look at what Hitler was able to achieve through oration and the big lie. That's what's happening today. Yeah, well, things have kind of moved away. Instead of, like, having, like, a single person, I've noticed this kind of weird happening in, in, like, most of the Western countries. They've moved away from the Hitler type of person as a great orator. And what they've done is they've split the task between several different people. There's John Kerry, and usually what they'll do is they'll have the when two sides unite, 
They'll have someone from the Democrats and someone from the Republicans, and they put aside their differences, yeah. differences on this issue because obviously so important. You know, it's so important. And yeah. they'll do that, and, and, and instead, of, and you, if you put their speeches together, you would get the fine oration of like you know a Hitler type person mm-hmm. or something like that. But then they split it aside so that you, no one can point to a single person. Oh, he's he's kind of. You know, being like Hitler here, he's an inspirational speaker, and he's yeah. rabble-rousing. You need to have your wits about you to see through it. But listen, we're going to let you go. Um, was it Jim, yeah? No, you just said we were from Atlanta. Oh, Atlanta, Atlanta. okay. No, my name is my name is Patrick. Thank you thank you guys for taking my call. I really appreciate it. And I'd just like to add, there's another great book, because I heard one of the gentlemen uh, mention a book. I have a book that's called Killing Hope, U.S. Military and CIA Intervention Since World War II by William Bloom. William Bloom. Excellent yeah. book. That's we a great book, yeah. And thank that's you guys good. for taking my call. I'll keep listening. I'm going to get off. Right. You guys have a great weekend. You too. You appreciate it. Thank Bye, Bye-bye. Thank you. Okay, we're going to go straight to another call here. Hi, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? This always happens. They never know I'm talking to them. Hi, caller. There's You're on the air. There's a bit of delay, I think. There is. There might be. But not that long. That long. He's getting suspiciously Hi. long. Hi, caller. You're on the air. What's your name? No, I think they're not there. Call back. All right. Well, he can. He or she can call back if they want to call back. You're definitely not there. Okay. In the meantime... I'm going to go back to those sneaky Saudis. <coughs> Between the Saudis and the Turks, I mean, they are the two countries that actually need regime change. It kind of nearly happened organically this summer. Well, nearly happened. Uh, there was widespread, pr- practically a revolution that was suppressed by the pr- uh, Turkish Prime Minister Erdogan. Mm-hmm. Um, the Saudis, they're the backward jihadist, fundamentalist nutcase. If, if, if Every, if you took everything the American uh, regime has been saying about Islamo-fascists, well, and how evil it is and how we have to fight and, yeah, it and, and how it's to everybody. And how there's a clash of civilizations. Well, go visit Saudi Arabia. Because and you'll see it all on display. And yes. Go ahead. Well, the Saudis, um, something came up. It was a story. We don't know. The original source, unknown. But anyway, it was put out there and it was picked up by a mainstream British paper. Um, it's saying that the Saudi head of security, like their CIA chief, mm. a guy known to uh, have been pulling strings in the past, Prince Bandar bin Sultan, mm-hmm. tried to bribe Russia a few weeks back. Obviously, he knew this was coming up mm. by saying that, listen, drop your support, will you, of Syria. In return, we're going to sell you cheap oil. Sell you cheap oil. Yeah. It didn't work. No. And then he said, allegedly, this is a quote from him, quoting here, this is what he said to Putin as part of his sweetening deal. This was a stick. He said, I can give you a guarantee to protect the Winter Olympics Mm -hmm. next year, which are taking place in Russia. The Chechen groups that threaten the security of the games are controlled by us. Mm -hmm. We use them in the face of the Syrian regime but they will have no role in Syria's political future. Mm. Well, does that sound like someone who knows, knows what's going on? Yeah, knows pretty what's going much on. what is going on. Right. That was a threat. Yeah. But then, obviously, some kind of Chechen, uh, Chechen 
Muslim terrorist attack at the Winter Olympics in Russia would just be used by Putin as a, he'd say, bring it on, you know, I'll make hay out of that one. Yeah. You know, i got to fight the terrorists just like you. <laughs> we have this caller back, I think. <clears throat> Hi, caller, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Are you there? Caller. Hi, caller, are you there? No, I haven't. Where it is, they're having some trouble, trouble getting through. They keep calling, but they're not able to uh, to get through. Maybe I'll just leave it online. Maybe uh, pop it at know. some point. Back on that Bandar guy, though, he was connected to uh, to Bush. The yeah. Bush has said, "Me and Bandar are like family." Yeah, he was like, family. "That's a little bit creepy." This guy, this guy is like a uh, he's like a caricature. He's he's a real freak. He's uh, he was like a lot of the Saudi royals. Well, which there are hundreds, you know, and from the first family. father who had like fifty-five children, uh, and there's and eighty wives. Yeah, <clears throat> he he was educated in uh, military school uh, in the UK. Right. He has a big kind of land. He, he fancies himself as someone at Downton Abbey. You know, he's he's Saudi Arabian, but he you know, swans around the English countryside with the deers and the dogs and goes on tur- on, on pheasant shoots uh, when he's not involved in turkey shoots. Uh, elsewhere, and um, he, uh, yeah, this is the guy that Neil was talking about, and he's, he's just dealing with, you know, twisted cycle, money grabbing. He's basically a deal maker, yeah, and a financier, kind of. It's not really his money. He is up to his neck in arms deals. Um, a recent one for $43 billion, I believe, with British Aerospace. Uh, to sell fighter jets to Saudi Arabia, but he doesn't just do it. It's not just a really a liaison office for his own country. He makes and breaks massive deals between countries around the world. Um, so he's obviously up to his neck in it in terms of what's going on in Syria. I thought it was interesting that this emerged a few weeks prior to this. Mm-hmm. So what kind of foreknowledge this guy had? It's really simple when you look at the details. It screams at you because to use John Kerry's terminology, except what he was saying was screaming out at, at everybody was the need to do something about Assad. What's screaming out at the entire world here when you just do it, make a cursory investigation of this entire situation is that this was a false flag attack. It's right. written all over it. Someone amongst the Western-backed, funded, and trained, and armed uh, Syrian rebels blew up or detonated some kind of a, you know, chemical or, you know, even released some kind of industrial toxicant into the area to create these scenes that then could be used by the West to bomb in some form or other Syria. And beyond that, we're not sure. It could be the beginning of a wonderful war, you know, oh, what a lovely war where it ignites, as so many people keep saying it, would ignite the region, right. as in any response that the Syrians would have would be largely directed at Turkey and Israel, and if they could reach it, Saudi Arabia. And that would be kind of it if they started, you know, I mean, they they could end up really bombing Syria back to the Stone Age and killing millions of people, right. uh, at which point, obviously, Iran or before that, Iran would be involved as well. And who knows, I don't really believe Russia or China or those people are, are, would, would do anything. Um, 
I think they're ultimately at the, at the upper levels. They're part of the same kind of, you know, they're not going to get serious about this. It's, well, you know, dying well, is for on. the little people, not for the... Well, when I read about this whole situation, the first thing that came to mind was the start of World War Two, with the with the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand. And that was the First World yeah. War. First World War. Yeah, the start of the First World War. Right. And um, apparently this was taken place by by a couple of like Serbs or something like that, mm. uh, aided by some sort of secret network of you know military people called the Black Hand. I mean, it was all. But they killed the single person who was representing their interests. So this was an extremely suspicious situation. They, they they targeted and killed the one person that they probably shouldn't have, somebody who was liked and who was actually on their side. Um, which has screams conspiracy there. And that one little event basically ignited, supposedly, this war that was from all these different powers who had been sort of like making sort of political moves back and forth and a little bit of this and treaties here and treaties there, you know. Germany under Bismarck had been doing all this different stuff and isolating France and basically castrated England and and then, you know, had this treaty with Tsar Nicholas and stuff like that. So this was bouncing back and forth and then they started to get all kind of like pissed off at each other and then this happened and it kind of blew up. So this looks kind of like a similar type of situation that really could because you have all these you have you have China and Russia and America have all made interesting political moves. China with their not giving up Snowden and saying, hey, what about this spying? That was a kind of a weird thing for them to do. And then Russia with Putin coming out with his speech where he basically calls the U.S. liars. I mean, pretty much he says they're lying yeah. about the evidence. He said, he said if they had evidence, they would have shown it. If they don't show it, it means they don't have it. Well, that's just a fancy way of them saying they're lying to you about yeah. having evidence, right? Yeah. And so it's an interesting political move to come from Putin, who originally was like with that whole Stone guy who was like, stop hurting our American partners, and he's kind of not mm. been so overt, but he just, you know. So you look at the situation and you say, what if they've decided that it's time for a big conflagration? And it could explode into that. Yeah. At, at, the, same, at the same time, at the very top, I think that there is no opposition between nations. There is a script written by uh, a few oligarchs and nations and Putin's and uh, other leaders are just uh, puppets. Right now, they're playing a scenario where there is an opposition between China, Russia, and the right. U.S. because it's of their interest. But it was the same in World War One and exactly. World War Two. Exactly. The big problem. Exactly. So a big war does not necessarily not on the on the, yeah. on no, the no. agenda. I it think could it's be. on the contrary. Except, except, except in the sense that Today, a war or any real aggression between uh, nuclear armed nations, I think, is off the off the books because uh, I don't think so. Well, I think they say that. Well, you know, I don't know. We went, we went through the whole Cold War and it never happened. And it just, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine, for example, Russia and the U.S. and the U.K. and maybe France all involved in a nuclear war where they're lobbing nukes well, at each well, other because there's no one well, left, well, you know, the, really. There's nothing to say that they won't go nuclear. There's no, that, that's a Carl von Clausewitz kind of total war. You know, he who doesn't go to the nth degree is weak against his enemy who's willing to. Uh, that doesn't have to happen. They could just decide. They might just be playing at war and decide. You know what? We need another sixty. Let's try to top it. Let's a hundred million dead this time. Uh, we'll take nuclear bombs off the table. We'll promise not to use them, and we'll just fight it out with guns and drones and stuff. Mm. I mean, because yeah, exactly. It's a game. Exactly. That's what I think they would do. Because ultimately, I think if they were to start a nuclear war, 
what would happen would be that they would not be so sure of their positions afterwards. Right. At least the people who, you know, in the overt government. I mean, if it gets too bad, you know. Four days ago, before the British Parliament vote, in other words, when it was just fresh on the table and it, it was looking like they made the decision because the same sort of pseudo battle plans were appearing in newspapers all over the world. There was the way of announcing we're go, we're all green light. On the same day, there's this article, headline, Russia joins U.S. and Canada in anti-terror aerial exercise. It goes on. Aimed, uh, yes, an anti-terror exercise aimed at boosting cooperation in reaction to hijack, hijacking of commercial aircraft. Fighter jets from the U.S. and Canada and Russia will be taking part in Vigilant Eagle 2013, the third such exercise so far this year. So they're in the height of all this. Oh, my God. Are we on the verge of a world war? They're like, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll be over there next week. See, see you then. They're a bunch of duplicitous <laughs> a-holes, you know what I mean? You cannot trust them as far as you could, you know, yeah. throw them or whatever. I mean, it's it's really ridiculous that anybody anywhere in the world puts any faith or any trust in any of these so-called leaders because they but, are, they're but, so... But that Putin sounds so sincere. Oh, that's a good cop, bad cop. That's all yeah. those fake re, uh, dualities. Right. But the only real duality, again, we said it in previous shows, it's between the oligarch and the 99.9% of the people who are exploited. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're talking about like maybe 100,000 people at the most at the top, at the top of the food chain, you know? But remember the game from the authoritarians, from Bob Baltimore's book, The Authoritarians, you should get it on Amazon. Where he uh, he put the right wing authoritarians in charge of this game, and it took him like forty minutes to destroy the entire sure. world in a nuclear conflagration. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and I had a friend once who used to say, you know, when you're looking at a situation and someone could do the stupidest thing possible, always bet on stupid. They'll yeah. do it. Jay but in this game, has a point because hang on, but this in this in this game, there were already two teams. Mm-hmm. It was a university, uh, yeah, authoritarians, people with tendency for authority, and compared to other ones lower authoritarian tendencies. Right. It was far less cooperative and it screwed up everything very quickly. However, here, the setting, the structure might be different. And I th- I'm not sure that at the top, you really have two teams. Well, well, I, might, the apex of the pyramid might be just uh, one the team. Right, the right wing and the rest of the, the, the other team well, is us. Neil had something to say, but I have, I have a response for that. What were you going to say, Neil? Well, it, it reminded me that if it is some sort of controlled burn they go for, okay, let's hype the shit out of things, but by all, let's not lose control of the situation. They're overlooking the simple fact that things get out of control. They do. And it could happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I hate reasoning by analogy. It's kind of like a generally, sometimes it can be a bit of a problem. But if you look at any kind of historical governmental structure, it collapses, and then some evidence is found by historians about what was going on internally with that structure. You see that there was nothing but factional infighting mm-hmm. between people who were united in their desire to oppress the people. They were completely united in their desire to use the people in any way they wanted. But each one of them or each group seemed to want to use the people in a slightly different way. Yeah. There's, there's, there's the warmongers, the murder people. They, they want war and destruction and blood, and then there's the, the, the greedy people. 
they're really interested in sort of like gluttony and greed and they want to take everything for themselves and they want to live lavish lifestyles. And there's, you know, the perverts who want to have like pedophile rings. And these are all like factions mm-hmm. that are running inside. And I think it's probably the same at the very, very top that there are factions. And you never know when one faction is going to move against the other, and this could be a perfect opportunity. Maybe not. You yeah, know, but, it, but it'll be it's meet the new boss, same as the old boss, really. Exactly. Different flavor. Yeah, different flavor. I think it's open. What we can say from historic data is that uh, when you read Party Secret Team or uh, right. Douglas Reed, Controversy of Zion, you see that those major conflicts are very carefully planned at a high level that transcend by far any national cleavage. But it doesn't mean that it cannot go out of hand and that the script is always respected and that there's no dissension within the the apex. I think that there's a, there's a lot of evidence, especially from like history of, of the Second World War specifically, um, that I think that it was orchestrated, and sure they plan it, but uh, there's an old there's an old saying. Um, everyone has it's like a military saying and a boxing saying. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, and they have this plan. They put it in motion, but when you put tanks on the ground and you have you know two million troops running around with guns shooting at another two million troops, managing that and controlling it and controlling all the variables is just really kind of practically impossible. Yeah. I think when they do that, they don't try to control it because for them, you know, yeah. a bunch of, you know, 65 million people dead is fine. I mean, that's right. the point of war. Let's, let's get rid of a few people let's, and let's change the, the kind of the redefine or redraw the lines on the map and let's change around. the board game. Let's change the board game type right. of thing. But yeah, Syria is the outcome but of that, the board game change. And that's fine. You, Borders. you can let things go in conventional warfare as far as you want them to go exactly. type of thing, you know. But the problem is if there's any kind of a nuclear, nuclear war, you know, as I see it anyway, if they really did. I mean, the U.S. has like hundreds of nukes. The Brits have like a you know, few hundred. The Israelis have a few hundred. If they, America has thousands. Yeah, thousands, sorry. If they, if, if they, uh, they launched all those, if it was really just a free-for-all, like fire everything we got, I mean, there's no planet left, you know, for anybody, right. you know. Yeah. They wouldn't do that. I don't know if they would or not. They might, but I don't think so. Speaking of firing rockets, on the 7th of June last year, 2012, Something strange was seen in the skies over the Middle East. It was seen from Israel, Lebanon, Egypt, Syria, Iran, Iraq, the whole the whole region. And people were freaked out. Um, they described it as a comet-like object in the sky. And stories quickly came out saying, no, 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 not to worry, not to worry. It was just a missile test. Specifically, it was an... ICBM, an intercontinental ballistic missile mm-hmm. launched by Russia. And the most alarming thing about that apparent explanation for this was that I was thinking, okay, so wait a minute. You've got this serious tension going on in the Middle East. You're saying that Russia loved a missile over the region at the height of it and no one in the West picked up on it? I mean, here they are today having to contrive an incident which might have killed people out of thin air, but they had a real opportunity to say, look, look, the evil Russians are coming, but yeah. it just disappeared from the yeah, news well, story. As we've talked about this before, we think that the recent spate of, uh, you know, obviously there's some tests going on in terms of rockets and all that kind of stuff, but there's some level of lobbing a few rockets, uh, having a few tests, in quotes, 
uh, here and there to confuse the issue of uh, incoming uh, space rocks, meteorites, because as we've seen, uh, I think at least on one occasion, uh, where we were able to confirm that it was a rocket test, and then we compared that to uh, what a meteorite flying through the sky at night time or whatever appeared to be like. It was They were almost indistinguishable. Now, you'd think that you know, this would be something, if they want to cover up the the truth about um, mm-hmm. there being a, a, an increase in, in meteorites, incoming meteorites, well, then one way to do it would be to throw up a few rockets at the same time, say that they're rockets, and just muddy the waters in that way so that if at any point in time it gets a bit alarming for people, they can say, well, they're rockets, or it's space junk, or it's an, in, it's a, it's an incoming... Yeah, it's a weather balloon. It's <laughs> swamp gas. You know, so... Um, there is a difference between rockets and uh, com- incoming cometary bodies. That's an electromagnetic signature. But now, with all these two slides about Iran developing electromagnetic pulse rockets yeah, exactly. that would explode in a higher atmosphere, yeah. they have all the features of an incoming cometary body, so mm-hmm. they would be able to muddy the water even better right. and to cover up the major threat that is not a world war, that is not uh, the human level, but is a, that is on a cosmic level. That's why and Dr. That's Krupp said years ago, they don't need cosmic intention to cover up, to disguise Cold co- cosmic intentions. They need, cos- they need, uh, co- they need wars to co- co- cover, to disguise mm-hmm. Cosmic intention. I think I'm accepting mm-hmm. your yeah. 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 Okay. Sorry. So well, yeah. Here's a thing on that line, if I can say it real quick. There were a lot of reports during various wars of a lot of like lights in the sky and things like that, and people were saying they were seeing lots of UFOs. There was there was lots of these reports, and it makes you wonder for a moment uh, whether a lot of people theorized at the time that the UFOs were attracted to the conflict, but what if the conflict was attracted to the UFOs? <laughs> I mean, what if they were trying? Maybe there was like you know comets going around, and a lot of the bombing you know that was happening at the time was was not really. You, you don't know. I mean, well, a little conspiracy. There, there were a number of videos of this so-called rocket boat. I mean, the people on the ground described it as a comet, but that's obviously a comet. There was more than one body in the sky. There was something that broke up. One of the videos was taken by um, so-called Syrian rebels. And they said, oh, my God, oh my, the, what they said was translated. Oh, my God, oh, my God, Assad is launching chemical weapons. Right. Yeah, I had a, oh, yeah. just an anecdote. They've been setting that up for a while, apparently. Uh, when I visited my grandma last time in Toulouse, she's 98 years old, but we have some chit-chats about uh, different topics, and we're talking about this uh, human-cosmic connection. You know, and uh, she re- reminded me when she was born in 1940, and the day before she was born was 1913, and that's when the great comet, comet of Halley, was observed. She was telling me a parent could see it. They could see in the night as if it was the middle of the day. And for people of this generation, we're just talking about one century ago, not far away. For those people, it was very clear that the comet of Halley and the World War One were intimately related. So, just hundred hundred years ago, this cosmic human connection was already in people's mind. Yeah, it's almost instinctive. And yeah. in the memory, that is a sign of impending disaster. But we know throughout history that when sort of like cosmic catastrophe starts happening, weird stuff starts happening on the planet, 
that it basically drives people insane. Yeah. And that's what worries me about this whole Middle East situation is not so is that maybe they do have all kinds of plans, but maybe they're being driven insane by this whole, you know, cosmic situation that they're not really as in control as they would like us to think. And there's a feedback loop here. There's a historically it's the records are very clear. There's a strong correlation between cosmic events and social unrest. And right. uh one could wonder what co- what is the cause, what is the effect. It's probably a feedback loop yeah. in the sense that when people start to see the cosmically induced catastrophes, they really freak out. That leads to more social unrest, and the psychopaths in power want to keep their power, so they increase the repression, right. so it's even more violence. And if, as we hypothesize, violence, oppression, lies are one factor that modulates cosmic intention, cosmic activity, you have even an increase in cosmic catastrophes and more freak out and more repression, and it goes up and it spirals up. Mm-hmm. I don't know who who said it, but someone I, I heard say that uh, you know in life we don't attract what we want, we attract what we are. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean if we are destructive, then we're only going to attract more destructive things. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean besides besides this this dynamic, which makes a lot of sense. Joe, Joe you suggested earlier this week that it could be that the timing of some kind of regional or global conflagration or the hyping up of it could be connected with the powers that be having one eye on something mm-hmm. coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we talked about that a little bit already and we've talked about it in previous shows, but I mean, it's just hypothesis, you know, that um, because this, this whole series of business seems so contrived and really kind of unnecessary, you know. I mean, I don't, I don't see why they decided that they waited, you know, two and a half years. Yeah, it's kind of like new. it's been on the back burner, and we'll and use nobody it cares. as when. Yeah, but so why they, now? Yeah, it's an opportunity to use it. Why now is the question. So uh, the, the hypothesis is that they're, you know, NASA or somebody with their eyes on the skies. Um, I don't know about maybe, NASA. Maybe the Air Force. Well, somebody with NASA. NASA maybe the Air competent. Force. <laughs> yeah. But whoever, that there may be some awareness somewhere in the in the halls of power uh, that something may be incoming, something uh, on the on the on a level comparable to uh, the Russian meteorite, or yeah. or several of them, let's say. You know, they may not have. A, it's unlikely they would have a specific itinerary and time and date and no. trajectory and stuff, but just. They might be calculating a range of risks. Yes, a range of data or or a window of opportunity, and they want to have something going on, burning quite hot throughout the next three, four, five months, let's say, uh, because that's a window of of suspicion, let's say, when something from some fireballs might be raining on our heads. And it would be useful to have... Uh, you know, the people all kind of worked up and in a state of kind of war or war hysteria type thing, rather than having a very calm, peaceable society where people have the time and the opportunity to take their video cameras out and post them on YouTube. And you know what I mean? Yeah. That, a distraction, basically. Yeah. Because when something like, if and when something like that does happen in terms of a, a major meteorite impact or several of them, <clears throat> It's going to be very difficult for them to spin it as some, anything other than what it is, and I can think the only thing I can think of that they would that they would think of uh, as to how to spin it as something else is to have it happen in the context of uh, where the U.S. is attacking or engaged in some kind of a campaign against someone 
and therefore they finally responded. Mm. It sounds like it sounds very implausible it, to me it, still, it, but well, it sounds like it would need to be very hot. I rockets missiles would need to have been fired at the time. Or for example, if there's an impact or an ablation and it takes out half a US city, there's gotta be a war mania going on that oh, the first thing people will think of is those Syrians or those Iranians or even right. those Ruskies. Right. Um, I think it's it, they just need that. I think get that first PR coup in, right. where people themselves go, ah, of course, well, it's the Russians. Right. Then they might have a chance. Yeah. Well, yeah, there was there was stuff like that during the Cold War, where when any kind of catastrophe or any problem kind of happened to, oh, the Russians are finally invading. In fact, they made a movie called Blast from the Past that was kind of about that. You know, somebody who freaked out by some small little disaster and decided it was the Russians invading and <laughs> went into his bomb shelter and got locked in or something. But, but I was going to say that there is there is another uh, idea or theory that I kind of came up with with what's going on. I think that it's got like a low probability, but it seems like there's a lot of work up. There's a lot of people who are kind of against the U.S. right now, you know, uh, with their intent to go in and strike Russia and England. And there's a lot of people marching and there's, you know, some demonstrations against it and, you know, hands off Syria and stuff like this. And with, um, Obama not making the executive order and saying, I'm going to go to Congress, which is just a ridiculous situation. I mean, he's already established that he has every intention to start wars willy-nilly. Why would he choose to do that? And it might be that he is setting up some opposition, going to go in there, get voted down, say, since I'm such a good guy, I'm going to acquiesce. And then a big false flag terror attack happens, and then everybody basically gets you know, mm-hmm. pimp-slapped, could you be. should have you should have let me go in. Now mm-hmm. we're going to go in hard and fast, and mm-hmm. everyone's like, "Oh, we won't say anything bad against you again because, mm-hmm. oh, gee whiz, you were right. We'll never doubt you again." I can't yeah. believe we lost faith in our commander in chief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's very plausible. bad. Things happen. Plausible. Very plausible. Just one thing about the the increased cometary activity. We were wondering during the past shows if they knew there was an increase. I mean, we know just by consulting some publicly available database, but during conversation with a uh, with a technician who was involved in space industry and particularly in a military satellite based observation system, we learned from a paper that is public, difficult to find, but public, that actually currently the US Air Force is able to detect incoming bodies that are 10 centimeters in diameter. Yeah. So what is pretty sure right now is that the screens are flashing everywhere with incoming bodies. Right. And they know it's going on. It's know it's been increasing for months. How far, how far out can they detect them? No, they, they can only they can. detect below the satellites. The satellite. are all pointing downwards. The yeah. So they see. So they have this screen, but it's 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 focused on controlling us. <laughs> this, they have the technology, and they should be looking out. It's not looking down at us. But, but that so that means something. they would have very little time if anything. Ah, no, no, no. It you're right. It only shows that they know. Because they see yeah. all those bodies entering Within the atmosphere yeah. coming down, but they don't know where they come. They don't know where they come from, and they're totally unable to neutralize them. And uh, neutralize the, neutralizing them would be an Herculean task, mm-hmm. because right. unlike what is usually depicted in Hollywood production, it's not one big, big. body identified for years and years that is coming straight towards the Earth. Its body is coming from every direction. Right. And bodies of every size, they can last for years. But in all fairness, with the technology that they do have now, 
if those satellites were pointing the other way, they could have an effective screen. It probably wouldn't be 100%. It wouldn't be, even 50% effective would be good, and they could definitely have something like that. Yeah, they should adapt the technology that, that's what this technician should, or this engineer said. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. That, in the end, I think is what will condemn them to today's equivalent of the guillotine that we might have been able to see stuff, observe stuff, neutralize stuff. It's my it, hope that it will. It'll be written on our own. I mean, history... It's too late, Jay. You know, history is full of situations exactly like what we're seeing today. For the last 2,000 years, it's just full the brim of short-sighted elite oligarchs shooting themselves and everybody else at the same time in the foot from willful ignorance and greed. And we never seemed, it's only a small band of people, a small band of historians that look back in the past and say, this has happened before, this is what they did, they screwed up, they, them, they killed themselves and a lot of other people with their willful ignorance and their short-sightedness. And still, we look back into history and we lift them up and, oh, the Roman Empire and, oh, we talk about the feudal system. We talk about the ancient kings and all this different stuff. And we glorify history and we never learn from it. When it's populated by a bunch of idiots. When it's basically populated by a bunch of willfully ignorant, short-sighted, oligarchic morons. And it's worse than ignorance and short-sightedness. Because even if they are unable to neutralize those incoming cometary body. What they've been parroting and repeating in mainstream medias is this global warming scam. Right. If at least they had been acknowledging one of the consequences of those cosmic changes, i.e. global cooling, people could have prepared themselves. Yeah. And instead of uh, right. uh, getting ready to face heat, they would get ready to face a global cooling down. Yeah. So they've been deceiving people and they've right. been Active pushing people in the wrong direction. They've been setting people up since time immemorial to be to be destroyed, to be killed. They've been putting them in positions where here's the problem with that though. You're right. They've been setting them up, but they're setting historically they get destroyed too. Mm -hmm. Right? So I mean it's stupidity. Mm -hmm. You know ultimately do they have no no sense of of their own survival? You know, I mean because they're not they're not I mean there's no bunker in the world that's going to save them from, you know, a, a 20 or 30 meter sheet of ice on top of them. And they're going to be stuck down there with their Forever. with their Pop-Tarts. What you, you know? say? I mean, big whoop. It's true. But here comes into play a wishful thinking because they are building those bunkers. So they know what's going on and they think they are ready and prepared. But I think they don't have all the factors that constitute the whole equation. Absolutely. And I think that'll be uh, yeah, it's written on all our tombstones. Uh, and stupid is, and stupid does. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's a pretty, it's a pretty, pretty depressing outlook on on the future uh, if there is one. Uh, maybe the saving, <laughs> the saving grace is that it won't last too long. Don't worry, uh, the idiots will get it. It'll be spectacular I mean, with everybody too. else. Everybody else is going to die, but at least they will too. Yeah. Yeah. At the very least, it's going to be spectacular. So keep the focus, strap in. And like we were saying earlier on, you know, keep the faith. When we say keep the faith, we mean keep the faith in the value of uh, your ability to 
on your efforts to see what is going on, even if you're just alone, a single viewer, it's worth it's worth more than than being an ignorant slave, and it may even be worth more than your life. It may be worth your soul. Absolutely, we don't know. So I think we'll leave it there for this week. Thanks to our callers and thanks to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoyed the show. We did. Uh, we'll be back next week, <clears throat> hopefully with a, an interview uh, of a guest that is yet to be confirmed, but we'll let you know during the week. And you can check it in the usual places. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye.